Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Sam and Katie Decker via Zoom today. It's January 6th, 2021 somehow. Thank you for <laughs> today. And thank you, for, thank you to Baby Coco for joining us as well. Uh, yes, yes. Let's start with the first question today. And I'm, uh, this is for both of you. And the question is real easy. Why wine? You, you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, yeah, that's, that's a, it's funny. It's such an important central question, but one that no one has asked me exactly quite like that. So thank you. Um, and but first of all, yeah, thanks so much for having us today, guys. It's really great yeah. to be here. Um, we're, we're coming to you from Montreal, so it's, um, it's great to feel connected to people in the industry and um, to, to this, especially now more than ever. Um, so thanks, thanks for putting this together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I came to, to wine a, a slight, maybe a different route than, than a lot of folks in the industry in that I came kind of from, I didn't come from hospitality uh, originally. I came, I came from, from writing. Um, I was a creative writing major at, at, in college. Um, uh, I went to Oberlin in Ohio and like for me um, and I, I prior to that I like classical music violin uh, performance was my thing and so like I'd, I'd had these like intensive periods of like study and passion and concentration on something specific and I think um, when you know I, I, I graduated from from college and was had this sense of wanting to like do something important young. I think coming from classical music where like composers are are like three when they write symphonies and so forth. It's like, you just have this sense of wanting to like achieve something great quickly. Um, and I, um, and and so I, I dabbed into this idea of writing a novel and I, I just kind of like went down the rabbit hole of, of, of really concentrating on, on publishing a novel. And um, that's kind of when Katie and I hooked up. Um, we were friends. We both grew up on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. And, uh, and she was like, you know, a character from a novel, you know, like where I was like trying very hard to, to, to imagine something, um, you know, magical um, and living a less magical life. Katie was like the, a, a vibrant character from a novel. And it was just like, whoa, this is like somebody who's actually like living. Um, you know, she didn't, she'll tell you, but she didn't follow the same route. Not, no, not the same like traditional education or, or like normal path to careers. She was traveling and cooking and, and living and um, and so she knew me well enough to convince me to to move to Mexico with her to open a restaurant, um, but but to, to kind of pitch it in a way that was like, you'll get so much time to write, you'll it'll be awesome, like you'll write your novel. The lies began early. Yeah, we've been dating for like two weeks, and she already had like me figured out. <laughs> Um, we won't ask you to work in the restaurant at all. Yeah, you will not become a 50% partner within three weeks. Like, yeah. you will not be cooking and then, like, bartending and washing dishes. Um, Never. And yeah, uh, <laughs> and, like, like scraping, like, fish sauce off your jeans at, like, two in the morning. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so, like, we've been dating. We, we grew up together, but we were just, like, friends of friends. And we, we kind of, like, hooked up in, in Paris during college. And maybe we'll get to that story later, but it's a sign of a side story. But anyway, we kind of... We, we, we got, we started dating in, in our early twenties and she pitched me on this idea to move down with her literally after a few weeks of dating. And I was like, 
screw it, like let's do it. And I quit my job. I was writing for a newspaper on Martha's Vineyard. And we, we, we went down there and we like dived into this crazy life. It was 2010. So like the, you know, the, the American dream was like crumbling before our eyes. You know, we just graduated from school kind of, and there was no like this idea of like graduating and having like these opportunities and like starting your own business. And like, none of that was like, a, seemed available to us. And so we, but suddenly in this weird parallel universe in San Miguel de Allende in central Mexico, it was like, these things were like, it was like an, an early, it was like uh, the US in the sixties. It was like, there's opportunity yeah. that you could like buy property. You could like start a business. You could like start an art collective. There was just like things bubbling over the surface. There were things happening. Yeah, it was amazing. And so, so like, you know, that was like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting, this is like a long way of saying that like, that was like my entrance into the restaurant industry. And it was like, not for me, I, like my passion was writing, but restaurants was a, a thing we did during the day. And it became like, at times it felt like a burden. Yeah. Uh, other times it felt like- Well, you were like locked away. Like he was writing a novel, which you completed. And you see, he was like locked away in a room in our house, like completely by himself. You know, I would like bring in lunch and like try to like not interrupt like that, like sketchy writer flow thing that is so fun. Oh no, grumpy. But, uh, and then he would come into the restaurant and it's like, you know, it was a tiny, we opened an Asian fusion restaurant and it was like one room. And like, so right, right when you walk in, there was no escape. It was like, right when you walk in, either you were in like the kitchen where it was chaos always, or you were right in the dining room and everyone knew us. It was, I mean, we literally had the US consulate and waiting tables on Thursdays. Like it just very quickly became like this magical place to be. It was actually Wednesdays, it was sushi night for sushi the record. Night. Oh yeah, it was Wednesdays. <laughs> you wore a Hawaiian shirt, people were walking back. Egg? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and he was a terrible waiter, but he's he was awful. the nicest guy in the world. So fun. And you they like we just had some really kind people realize that like this was our, I mean it was more my like life savings. Like it was we'd gone in with a financial partner who we ended up having to break with. And so I didn't think I was gonna put like all the money I'd saved into it. And instead it was like every, I mean, we opened with $11 in our bank account. So it was like, either this works or we're, I won't say the word, but it was really sketchy. And so, and so <laughs> Sam would be in this like insular, like dark, cold, miserable. I mean, you enjoyed it somehow, but it seemed <laughs> miserable. And then come in and it was just all these people who like were excited to see him. And yeah. he would like very quickly have like a drink in his hand and be like talking to everyone. And I can see why that world's, I don't know, pulled, pulled you in. And yeah. then you met Ricardo. Yeah, then I met Ricardo. Yeah, yeah, so it was exactly. So it was like, it was just, uh, but it, it wasn't like, things weren't clicking for me so much as I, I loved what the restaurant provided, like that sense of immediacy and like, and, and human contact and, and community. Um, but but it, was, it always felt like I'd been writing all day and it was like a second wind and it was sometimes really hard. Um, and the, obviously the money aspect of it was scary. Like I mean, there were so many things that were so, so the, 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 the Mexican government, like yeah. so hard, um, but there were all these exciting parts of it. But then one day um, this gentleman named Ricardo came in for lunch um, and he started telling me about his winery outside of town. Um, and he, he owned a winery called Cuna de Tierra in, in a small tiny town called Bobo. <laughs> yeah, and, Bobo. And it was like population like 12. Um, but it was part of Dolores Hildago, which is a little bit north of San Miguel de Allende, uh, about 40 minutes north. Um, and and I just like, he, he would tell me about it and I'd be like, oh my gosh, wait, like we live in a wine region? Like, <laughs> like what? You know, and I grew up on Martha's Vineyard, which for the record is not a wine region. Um, 
it's uh it's an island off the coast of Massachusetts. There is there was one vineyard there that growing up called Shakema Vineyards, but it was like I was so far removed from wine culture, so far removed from New England is about as far as you can get from wine culture in the U.S. Um, in terms of like the production, and so and so like it just to realize. And I'd spent a semester in Florence in college. I had this this romance around wine, this sense of like wine could be this beautiful cultural connection, um, but it was very muted the wine part of that because I was still super poor in college and I didn't really hadn't put all the pieces together but I loved the uh, European ideal especially Italy and so like when I realized I was in this wine region I was like oh my gosh like and so I I guess I invited myself out there and I like I I, I visited it it was gorgeous it was kind of like modern and it was just there was so much it was just it I immediately saw that it had everything that my life currently lacked. It was like, it was like this opportunity to like work with the earth, to like be connected to, to this agricultural product, to wake up early, to see the sunrise, as opposed like to see it sun, like I, we, you know, late nights, very, very late nights. Yeah. Cause you know, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was writing, I was writing rigorously, like the word count daily minimums and then like working all night. And yeah, we were leaving the restaurant at like two in the morning and the mm -hmm. house we lived in was, lovely but it didn't even have hot water so we would like heat up water on the stove and then like pour it over each other to shower at the end of the night it was and it, it was a brutal i mean and we didn't take a day off for and, like almost two years it was, so an it, Asian, was it was a vietnamese, it was a brutal, vietnamese thai food so it's like fish sauce fish sauce so and, like, fish and like sauce. and like and like and like uh peanut sauce and like just like oh, stuff that sticks to your clothes so and does not go away yeah um very and, smelly and, very dark and you know it was a really mo modest like living situation like <laughs> yeah, one step up from like dirt floors maybe um but <laughs> um but it was just it was um yeah so i went out to ricardo's and i just like it was just like the right time i was i'd finished my novel but i was working on revisions with the agent and like but just like feeling like like the color of life and like seeped out of my existence you know like there wasn't the more you write the more the less you live at times you know it's like well, the more you try to really engage in a creative pursuit like you're, you're taking away from the actual experience of living and all of a sudden wine was like vibrant kaleidoscopic color of, of all those things that I was missing and it was just like it was immediate it was it had this depth of things you could study and dive into and like yeah. it connected you to people it was just like it was almost like I was like made for it but I just didn't know it existed and to that extent I didn't understand that world and I immediately knew when I found it that like this could be something I could spend my life doing. Yeah, um, this really was instant. I and mean, you enrolled in UC Davis like instantly. Yeah, pretty quick. Uh, and I just like and I, I went all in. I, I mean, when Sam like gets a passion, it's like thousands of flashcards. It's like he's all the way there. He wants to know. The flashcards I, came a little later, but yeah. yeah. Well, they came quickly. They came quickly. <laughs> and then the life, the, the the life fate like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but you really like you need something like the restaurant world just didn't do that for you. Like you never. You never engaged with it in that like full way where you were like trying to memorize like every restaurant in the world. Yeah, like, certainly without the wine piece, it didn't all the pieces. Yeah. Be, and then yeah, no question. So so I like it went started reading like old old uh, and he just it was such as Ricardo was just, just this gentlemanly old world kind of wine figure. I mean he's he was from he's Mexico. So he, he, his family owned like the gas station across the street, which was probably the source of all his wealth. And yeah. then and then he just had this beautiful uh, like just gorgeous modern winery that he was just. Building, he was just, I just really related to his mission because he was out just on his own, just, you know, not connected to the industry in a meaningful way, but just passionate and hiring people from the community. His, his main winemaker was this guy who lived literally like with his family down the street. And we'd go for lunch and 
eat eat like, like tamales the, yeah, the, and like the best of hospitality like you'd go over and like it was like the world would just stop for him and he would put on these like beautiful spreads and we, we became our like go-to move when we had guests it was like yeah. like what do we do with everyone today let's bring you out to Ricardo's he will like entertain nice them and like just cover the table and like cheeses and opening bottles that weren't labeled and it's like and we camped out there we, yeah we, we like, spent that we watched the eclipse, eclipse. yeah yeah, yeah just to, like just like just I don't know, coming from the restaurant world, it's like, that's what I love about restaurants. And he like showed that that could be a part. Cause for me, like wine, it was almost like, why not wine? Like I, I had a kind of jaded feeling about wine having grown up, like I was a chef. So working as a chef, like, I don't know. It was, it was like right before the financial crash, like people would often like send wine back into the kitchen. It was like a thing. And it always felt like, um, like I had imposter syndrome, like the whole like pomp of it and like those ceremonies, like it just, it didn't feel like it was honestly for me, it felt like I was like trying on someone else's life. And as a woman, it just represented a lot of like the restaurant industry that I didn't love, like the, the wealth and the like, I don't know, it just, I really didn't relate to wine in a way that I, I was actively like, didn't like it. And then going out to Ricardo's, it was the exact opposite. It was like everything I loved about restaurants without like the, the, the hard part of restaurants. It was like this beautiful and like the, all these kind people like just really getting together around wine, which is I like, I grew up kind of, my mom was a single mom a doctor. So I spent a lot of my childhood alone. We lived in the country. And so I loved how restaurants brought people together and wine. Ricardo like really embraced that with wine. I mean, you just you're just generous and curious and like yeah, all, all those yeah, exactly. beautiful he things. Was, yeah, exactly. He was you'd ask you just like he just would dive into your life. He was just a really amazing guy. And Sam and then Sam just like went full bore into wine. Yeah, and you took us on the first wine trip to California. Yeah, exactly. And that was when like the industry just opened up. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like so it started like reading old wine spectators and then in his office that I found and then to like finding more like actual academic stuff by UC Davis graduates and professors at, on viticulture and just like realizing I wasn't going to be able to to learn and there wasn't a lot like they had a laboratory but no one ever used it it was really kind of like for like not for show but like they bought the stuff and it was just in there um and so like I realized that you know I mean, it was all everything was in Spanish because it was just we were in Mexico and and there wasn't appropriately yeah there were just there, there were, <laughs> I was the only gringo there and then you know so it just um, and so it was really like, I realized that to get more information and kind of like to have, contribute anything to this, like, let's see what I can learn. And so I signed up for, for UC Davis's um, kind of like winemaking certificate program. And that gave, and all of a sudden I was like back in my, my sweet spot of like studying and being able to kind of like learn some, you know, something a little bit more academic. And so I love that. And I was, then, then I was just like reading everything I could find and like, I was just, just going all in and, and. And that's when I planned our first trip to California. And uh, as like, you know, I, my folks are from California, so I've been out there, but not in like the wine, the, the wine kind of sense. And I remembered, so this would have been, this, I can't, this must have it was been- the year before, right in the music festival. Because... Yeah, so it must have been 2013, right when, um, right when John Bonet's New California had come out, right? Yeah, you were so reading it on the plane. I was reading on the plane, making notes, being like, I can't believe this is happening, like so geeky and just like, like just like so loving life because I it, I was starving for it from like the three four years of writing that novel and um and I was still writing in my journal I was still like writing but now I was like writing something that was happening in front of me it was so yeah. lovely um and so 
but I just remember like writing in like the the like the, the margins of the book like we're gonna like picking the producers yeah. we're gonna go visit and like emailing them and like and just getting hearing responses from people like like um you know the Arnott Roberts guys yeah, um, um uh, yeah Duncan and you know and so it was just like to, to realize that like you could read about these people and and they then they would be they would respond to your emails and like you could go see them it was just like magic to me and and see Mathiasen who's like who was definitely featured prominently in that book became like this just like yeah like emblematic for me of like this whole cool new new thing that was happening in California and like I think because I got into wine right after the crash when everything kind of was changing in the industry and it was no longer about luxury so much but more about this European ideal of and sense of place that to me like resonated and I think if I'd got if I'd been exposed to wine before that I I it, I probably wouldn't have gotten into it. I don't think it wouldn't have, it, w- it wouldn't have connected for me. It really happened, had to do with like that time and, and those books and those people. Um, and so, yeah, we went out there and we, I, we visited one of my professors. I remember. Oh yeah. We went to lunch with her. We went to lunch with her. Yeah. Oh, early afternoon, uh, early afternoon wine. Yeah. We drank like an Big Anderson Valley. Noir and just like, world. and I, cause it's a just the UC Davis program is awesome. It's really, you know, now it's the whole idea of distance learning of course is, has a different role in society but then it was a little I had never done anything like that but it was really intense and yeah the professors were really hands-on and I felt like I had a relationship with them and so I remember we went out and had lunch with her and I brought I brought we had just been to see our not Roberts guys and I had a bottle of of the rosé which is like made with uh um uh it's 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 like a Portuguese uh, like Tortiga Nacional or something but it was just like so vibrant and fresh and like amazing and mineral and like not fruity and I just remember tasting and just like this is insane and like I went and got it from the car and like I take I like poured it for it at the restaurant um so yeah and we were so we were just we were just in it and really excited and and you know and and I went back to Mexico and kept working at the winery and kept doing the restaurant and then we we shifted and I basically Katie's mom passed away and we we life brought us back to Martha's Vineyard we sold the restaurant really suddenly really suddenly it yeah. was like overnight we were back in the states and it was we you know mexico where we lived it's literally like the best if anyone hasn't been to san miguel de Andes, it's it, well don't go because it's already getting too like blown up but it's it's just <laughs> it's the most magical place in the world i traveled for like almost a decade looking for like the place that won my heart and it and also just, I mean, the, the people we were friends with, it's just, it's really the most magical place. But we went back to the vineyard, which is the other like most magical place in the world. But we went back in like November and it was an absurdly cold winter. And we were staying in a really good friend's beautiful house, but it's a summer house. So it was like not very well insulated and it was really cold. And we just kept getting dumped, snow dumped on us. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really bleak kind of lonely existence after all that vibrancy and yeah and like and so that was when we started sam decided to start a little wine school like the the restaurant that he worked in as a manager um i was the first place i ever cooked i started working there when i was like 14. um i wasn't a manager yet they hired me to do the wines yeah but but yeah it's yeah well i had worked there like it was like my first i literally like went in trying to like applied for a waitressing job which looking back is so arrogant but I went into like the nicest restaurant on the vineyard and was like you know a teenager just like I'd like to wait tables and I'd literally put duck stickers on my resume I don't know why and I happened to hand my resume to the owner 
who was like, why did you put stickers on your resume? And I was like, yep, looking back, that's not the most brilliant. And so he sat me down and we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And he was like, you definitely cannot wait tables here. You know nothing about wine or food, but you can be an expediter because you seem to like to kind of boss people around. And I was like, I do like that. I definitely do. And he brought me into the kitchen and it was just like, it clicked. It was the perfect job for me. Like, just like, I don't know if anyone, it's like most people don't know what an expediter does, but you're literally like the connection point between the front of the house and the back where like the waiters only talk to you and you sort of like guard the chefs from like, people coming in asking for like random things and it was a blast and I got to work right next to the head chef and he just like they were the owner but he they just took me under his wing and taught me like began teaching me how to cook and then we had a chef quit in the middle of summer it was July 4th weekend and we had one of the head chefs quit to go to a Dave Matthews concert (laughs) and which is like on the vineyard you have two months to make money you really do. It's it's brutal. And so you, you know, as like an owner, you pay people to get that two months out of them. Like you pay for the shoulder season to train people up so that you have a staff for when you need it. And so Christian like overnight was like, how about you go back over there and start cooking? And I, it was terrifying, but it was the nicest kitchen in the world. The opposite of that, like screaming, mean, angry. Our head chef was this guy, Aaron, who was remains probably the nicest person I've ever worked for. Just like so kind and slow. If like things got crazy, he'd just be like, everyone stop. Let's take a breath. And he'd be like, I don't wanna take a breath. There's like 500 days. He'd be like, let's just chill. It's okay, it's just food. It's just food, we're all calm. Like, I'm not, okay. But it was amazing. And so I learned how to cook and it was perfect life for me because I would cook for four months, save every penny. I would work at another place in the morning. Like I would open the store alleys from like 6.30, hitchhike to work work at the restaurant and then I could travel for seven months and that became my life for like 10 years and when we went to San Miguel it was the first place I was like I could stay here for more than seven months and we opened the restaurant and then being back in the vineyard it was just like I don't know there's a little bit of that New England Puritan like it's like in Montreal it gets cold and like there's more people in the parks it's like we had to buy our daughter like a one-piece Eskimo suit to get her to go to the like go to camp because like we weren't very good at winter yet but on the vineyard it's like it gets a little chilly and everyone goes inside and hibernates and gets lonely and so Sam started a wine school and we would do it together I would cook and Christian the it was in the restaurant that like I'd worked at when I was like a child and Sam ended up working at first doing the wine program and then as a manager and the owners Christian and Greer they've just been like some of like the most important people in our lives like so much of our lives have been like them putting us on like the path to like having a happy life together and so they just gave us the restaurant this huge beautiful victorian millions of dollar restaurant to like do wine schooling it's like why wouldn't they and it was unbelievable it was really fun and people would come it was supposed to be like what would that be called like when it's like first class second class like cumulative or it was supposed to be like you just go to a single class well no we, were, we had like the wine 101 and then oh, oh, and like oh, people see, yeah, just yeah. kept repeating like it'd be like you've already taken this class like it's the same information like, like yeah we just like to be here like it's lovely and like yeah. people just would repeat the classes and we kind of realized that we worked well together in this world too mm-hmm. which is nice yeah exactly and yeah and, and a tria so the restaurant like she was mentioning it's called a tria and it's in the town of Eggertown on Martha's Vineyard and yeah fine dining kind of like seafood driven restaurant and 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 Christian 
like it was like definitely like my first real job in the wine industry, I guess, technically, um, because it was, I was employed to, to, as the wine director and, and I, you know, I was totally faking it to be honest, because like, if you own a restaurant, people assume you know what you're doing, which is like totally not true because like, you don't, it, it's, there's something about like working your way up that like you learn every piece of it. And like, by the time you get somewhere, like you deserve to be there based on the knowledge that you've, you've acquired. But whereas like, we, I just like, you know, by when Katie and I opened at Oco in San Miguel, it was the first time I'd worked in a restaurant, you know? Yeah. And so all I All the like, people who went to Oco are shocked because we definitely made up a backstory that you worked in restaurants before. Like we've just broken a lot of people's hearts. <laughs> the um, truth comes out. No, I don't, I mean, by the end, I think maybe I, there was an imposter syndrome in the first like six months, but like, I think we owned it very quickly. Um, I certainly did. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And then, and then, so Christian hired me to be the wine director at this restaurant. And it's, it's like the most serious wine restaurant on the Island. And it, it has this, you know, award, wins awards for, by wine spectator and things like that. When, and, and, and so it's a run, you're, you know, you're running it, you know, I wasn't in a city, so I wasn't like in New York, so I wasn't, or in San Francisco or Portland. So I wasn't like connected to this kind of like well-known wine community, but I was still serving people who are like you know like big you know like very, you know you the same kind of clientele you know because they're coming from new york and they're living on the vineyard in the summer and so and i'm running i was running a wine program where i'd spend you know a few hundred thousand dollars in the spring and buy you know it was like a crazy it was a, a, a big crazy to get the keys to that seller and hit for him to just be like yeah like write the wine list you know like when yeah. like i was in a, i was a wine buyer immediately and like that is just I think having been in the industry for a while since, like realizing that that's pretty rare. Not, let, not, not just, I mean, for many, it's like even being on the floor talking about wine and having the opportunity to do, spend your days and nights doing that is, is, is awesome. And something that is deserving of like, you know, really like, you know, reverence because it, take, it can take a while to get there. And, and because of the weirdness of Martha's Vineyard and the smallness well, and of Christian it just and, like, and christian's amazing really yeah. yeah he's really good at that like i feel like christian that's his like thing is he he doesn't go with like the person who like is the obvious choice he like he picks people with like his heart kind of yeah like, yeah this is somebody who hired two serbian girl chess masters to be his expediters in the year i like like he like knows like he's a very smart man yeah um, he's really good at that like, like figuring <laughs> out like psychologically like where you yeah. should be and i think it was like that that trust in him was well yeah. like well-deserved it just wasn't I, you know I, it was it was special like on both of your accounts like yeah I realized early like quick uh, quickly but as I went the 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 grant the magnitude of the responsibility when I do that first order and the cellar was full of wine I was opening like, <laughs> like David Abreu like crazy bottles I was just like I like like I I I, I had to like I'd, I'd been studying wine and been immersing myself in wine but suddenly to be holding the bottles and Going back to like what we were talking about a little bit before the interview of like this idea of wine being a, an outlet for like a liberal arts approach to, to the world. Like that was the dream I had in my head, but I never had, it never really had played out for me yet. But some, being a sommelier, that was what it was. You spend your, your mornings studying, you spend your like afternoons training the staff, teaching, you know, doing wine classes. You spend your night on the floor talking to like heads of state and like, just like crazy yeah. business leaders and like, uh, I mean, it, and then, or just beautiful, just families and from the island and, 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 but, but talking about wine, you know, and just like sharing the stories. And then you get to go down to the cellar and 
do the cellar work at the end of the night and break down boxes and set set things up and organize it and be systematic and then write the wines. It was just like this view. It's just like it's a it was like the perfect job. It really was, and, yeah. and it was. I felt like I really found my my spot in the universe. Yeah. Um, and it was just so fast paced. Um, so that's why wine. That's why wine. <laughs> to answer your question. Right. <laughs> Period. <laughs> um, yeah. So we so. really took that like meandering. Don't feel like you have to uh, stick close to the question. At um, but but yeah, that, and that takes us up to 2014. The summer of 2014 was when I started that job, and I ran that program for for five years or so, and yeah. five seasons, and. And, and became the general manager as well. Um, the manager left after my first year and they're just like, do you want to also manage? And it was like- It worked they, out really There were like well, three yeah. people doing this job that I some little by little kind of took, you know, kind of just like kind of added to my set of, of responsibilities. And we brought on other people to do other roles. And it, it was definitely a team effort, but it became um, just as Christian and Greer, they're the best. And, and working at that restaurant has given me the foundation to, to do everything we've done since, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, so that kind of brings us, I don't know if you wanted me to go beyond that, but that, that's pretty much why wine. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's per no, no apologies, that's perfect. Before we go on, before we pick up, I do have to ask though, so where you have the, uh, you, you travel, uh, Katie, you're traveling around, you're, you're looking for all the, like, the perfect place to be, and you find this place in Mexico that you love. But yeah. where, where does the idea to open an Asian fusion restaurant there come from? <laughs> oh, God. It's like, I didn't hear anything you said after that. I'm yeah. just wondering that. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. No, uh, it was, I was, so I've been working for Christian and I mean, geez, it's also crazy, but I went, the first time I went to Mexico, I, I don't, I, years are impossible for me. I'm terrible with names and years and face, a lot of <laughs> numbers. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, the first time I went down to Mexico, it was a really good friend who, in the mornings I was opening this little general store called Alley's. And um, I'm not a morning person. I'm a perfect restaurant person because night is like my time to shine. And yet I was opening this place that I had to be there at like 5.30 in the morning after working in the kitchen all night. And so it was, a brutal time and so you make like strong friendships when like you're at your like mentally weakest and so I was working with this woman Sherella Brown who like again just life just kept putting like amazing people in her lives but she was just this she was an older woman who had a daughter who was the coolest kid ever. whose name is Coco whose name is yeah it's her namesake uh Coco um but just like mother and daughter just like the coolest little family unit and I'd been traveling and I went I was in Tokyo and I flew back into New York to like start the season. Um, it was always just cheaper to fly. Like if you're going anywhere interesting to fly out of New York rather than Boston. And so I flew back into New York and I called Sam and we ended up going to a New Year's. Oh, I guess it was, it wouldn't have been the season. I was probably going back because I think we went to a New Year's party. We went to some big party together. And that night, um, randomly in New York, I was staying with my sister and I got a phone call from Chirilla asking if I would go to Mexico again with her because very sadly, uh, Coco's father had um, gone missing. It's really, really sad. And so she wanted me to go and babysit, not babysit, Coco was like a teenager, but just go and be like an extra adult. And um, I, I, I agreed and we went down and while we were there, um, I just like, I super fell in love with the town. And then she had to go back so in that Coco was supposed to inherit a house like her dad um, had really amazingly really wanted her to have a strong connection to San Miguel and so he bought a little house and wanted to leave it in her name and so a few years later they were still dealing with all the court fallout of, of him passing away 
Um, but yeah, so I went back down a few years later and um, the house was about to be like transitioned, but like they needed someone to occupy it. And so I volunteered to like occupy the house in her name. And while we were there, a friend of Chirilla's had like this big space for a restaurant that had been sitting empty. And we were like walking in the Hardeen one night. And he was like, do you want to open a restaurant? And I said, yes. And that was the relationship that ended up falling apart. Um, we just had very different philosophies on um, everything. And so we went down and while we were there, you know, I'd been working in the restaurant industry for years. And while we were there, it was Thanksgiving and some good friends of mine from the restaurant industry called me and they were like, how you doing? Like an innocuous question. I just started sobbing. And I was like, it's really bad. And like our partner, like won't even buy silverware. And like, it was just way too much for me. And Sam was still like writing at that point. So I was really on my own. And they like, the next day bought tickets and flew down to San Miguel to help oh me. My God. They paid their own way. Chris they, and PJ, shout they, out. Yeah, Jesus Christ. They came down. I mean, I didn't ask. They just came and rented their own place, like use their own money to rent a place and then took on. And then we ended up having to find a new space for the restaurant. And then like my best friend from childhood, like took like seven buses and like she came. And then we just like had this, like, I mean, people thought it was hilarious. I think it's why the restaurant a lot of people came, they couldn't figure out who the hell we were. And then we had a friend from Scotland come and bartend. She'd won all these like bartending awards in Europe. She made honestly, to this day, the best drinks I've ever had in my life, oh my God. But we just had this like posse of people that came to help. And so we ended up leaving the space that that guy had offered us and finding our own space, this gentleman, Paul, who um, was a photographer for like Vogue yeah. and stuff. Um, in like this early 80s in the early 80s and then it's like he saw like a sign on a little and like the opposite of what we'd imagine we'd imagine being like the historic downtown all these gorgeous buildings cobblestone streets and instead we were in like a, a plaza 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 londiga yeah as our first manager would say the best of the best of plaza londiga <laughs> uh this hilarious like you know like there was like the big supermarket and like you know it wasn't the dream but and then we just did everything ourselves we'd already spent a bunch of money at the other location and i had a very fixed amount of money to do this and so like we rented scaffolding and painted the whole thing there's pictures on facebook we like to do our sign we literally like shown the headlights of the car at the building and projected, projected the, image. the image and then the got up on top of the car on top of the car and then got a huge ladder and like drew it in pencil and then painted it and we were so young and like ridiculous looking that like the owner of the plaza like very very hesitant to rent us extremely space. nervous so Extreme. nervous just like I and he was like do you have parents like, do your parents have a house like do you have anything you can put up as collateral like it was so funny and so it was just like this crazy thing and then literally overnight it, we were so lucky the restaurant just like filled up with people and he would that same manager would come in and just like teary-eyed be like felicidades <laughs> like congratulations I, yeah, I remember him working his way through the crowd like the second week and just being like <gasps> like yeah. looking around being like felicidades yeah, it was like his teary eyes he was so sweet and he's the most sweet man ever yeah, yeah it just like everything just kind of worked out like but just having that huge group of people that came down to help us if they hadn't come, we probably, I probably would have given up, to be honest. It and it didn't like, start, a, it, did, it did kind of, so I keep going with the story, but it didn't start out as Asian fusion. We were oh, going to yeah. do a Moroccan theme yeah. and we painted the first location. We'd had a gentleman named Bruce come in and paint murals yeah, and like 
like beautiful like 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 Moroccan inspired murals and we were we were working on the menu and you know Katie more than I as again I was still kind of in writing mode but like yeah. um more as an assistant and then we and then we switched to Asian fusion like we had an epiphany at like the Sayulita the surf yeah. town and we like we're like it's we're gonna like we just had like a you know, we just, oh yeah, the space didn't have electricity, and like our whole little posse of friends was getting a bit like, "This is hell." They're like, "Wait, wait like, is Mexico? Why are we here?" San, San Miguel is like in the mountains, sixty-five hundred feet elevation. It's a yeah. high desert. It's beautiful. If the if the sun is out, it's seventy-five. It's like the, perfect. the most perfect place in the world. It's dry. It's bright. It's it was an artist's colony, and then you know it's going back to the post World War Two. And yeah, but, but it's cold. But but if it, the sun's not out and it's February, it's like you know like 40 degrees and like you're like why am i here why? and there's so, like no one prepares for that like all the houses are like meant to be like you open, know yeah. open and there's no heat and so our our, our team was like a little like peaked and, yeah. like, <laughs> and so we ended up like just bringing everyone to the beach for like five days and and rejuvenating and while we were there we realized that like moroccan maybe wasn't like the most intelligent it was gonna be me like, mes choice. like little like messy dishes and yeah. kind of christian like actually was like don't do tacos <laughs> what are you doing like have you learned nothing like no no money like it's such a bad idea and so we went to asian because christian like had traveled in asia and, and I, I you know i lived in vietnam or not lived i traveled in vietnam after college and katie had lived in, you know throughout asia and, yeah. and bali and thailand and so we just like we kind of put together it started as a Vietnamese noodle bowl place and then it grew into Thai and all sorts of stuff but um well I'm trying to get in the first um, but yeah so um yeah that's kind of it and it just kind of like started out as like pho and, and noodle bowls and grew into we did live concerts we I mean put anything on, we put to on make plays, money that we put like, on Hedwig and the Angry Inch yeah you know and, and I, that was know. so good it ended up going to like the biggest film festival in Mexico I mean our our roommate was Hedwig and he was I saw Hedwig on Broadway and I can say like on our children's lives that Seth was a better Hedwig than Hedwig on Broadway. Sorry, Hedwig Broadway person, if you're randomly listening to this, but uh, they were, but we did like, yeah, we just, we did these like themed concerts and that's what I loved about Mexico. It was like anything, you had to be careful what you said you were going to do because a swarm of people would joke to support you. Like, we literally drunkenly one night said we wanted to do a music, or I said I thought the town needed a music festival. And we were at this like terrible new bar, the, the Dosec, oh, I'm not gonna say what bar, but <laughs> this terrible new bar and having a dance party. And I like kind of like put out there, there should be a music festival. And then a few days later, all of our friends showed up with like clipboards to like start taking notes and putting it together. And within a few months, we had a music festival that Lord headlined, like in the oldest bullring in latin america like with a team completely no one got you can paid but like no one got paid and we had like 22 bands in like a million locations just because i mean it wasn't me it was like this team of people that just like everyone supports each other and everyone has like gone there to like it's like people have moved to san miguel because they want a life that's more than just work it's about community and I don't know. That's kind of what we want to do with this project is make it more than a marketplace. But, you know, like everybody, the pandemic has made it a little harder. But we really want to do these like big events where we bring everyone together and like make it like, you know, I, we really like the idea of starting a company that, well, it used the Internet in a way to like sell wine because it can reach anybody. We really want to bring have like a really strong offline presence. So like we're not making money by like getting you to spend hours and hours online, but it's like 
we want to sell you great wine and let you buy wine from small producers, but we really want to like, you know, have interactive wine events and do pop-up dinners and all the things that are like not you staring at a screen. Which, so. we, which we have done a bit here. And, yeah, which um, we but started yeah, here. But um, yeah, so, so yeah, but just to be clear, when I said fact check it, I, it wasn't because I was confident in that fact. It was because I wasn't sure and I would love to know. Wait, what? <laughs> about it being the oldest building in, in Latin Oh, America. oh, I thought you meant the concert. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. No, yeah. the concert was amazing. It, it was, it was, and that was kind of like our last big, big hurrah in Mexico before we had to go back. Yeah. To we didn't realize it was our last hurrah at the time, which was nice, but yeah, that was, we left right after that festival. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned your new project. I wanna to get to that in just a second, but, but before we do, I'm curious, Sam, as, uh, about your, your Psalm experience. You mentioned kind of getting in without realizing quite how lucky you were and quite how quickly you had gotten to the point where you had the keys to the cellar. So I'm curious in your multiple roles, doing both the wine classes and doing uh, Psalm work on the floor, tell me about kind of how you, how you share your knowledge. How do you, how do you balance all that you know and filter it down to what the customer needs to know uh, or, the, or your student needs to know? And how did that change from when you started to as you got more comfortable? Yeah, that's a great question because for me, like, I think it was the fact that I was discovering, I was in the midst of the act of discovery when I was getting to share this information with people. So it wasn't like I'd been in the industry for 15 years and I'd kind of like done the, 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 the wine 101, you know, and, and now I'm like having to rethink it and like and, and, and like parse down my knowledge to make it accessible. It was like I had just kind of figured this stuff out and, you know, and I'm now I'm getting to like coalesce it into a, an, an engaging way. So it wasn't like a huge, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a big leap to kind of like make what I was learning accessible to someone who didn't know it because I was I was just discovering it. And and to this day, like it's it's the it's the, it's the wine folks who who kind of always kind of stay perched on the edge of, of, of that and like remain kind of accessible to a broader audience and kind of keep that active discovery alive. Those are the, the writers, even as I know more, that, that I find so engaging and I continue to read again and again and again, because that to me is what, what Matt, what's interesting. And so like Eric Asimov and, Oh, yeah. And and you know Esther Mobley from the San Francisco Chronicle and and you know even like Hugh Johnson somebody who's like so renowned but like always it's like you know and I could name writers too like like um like um like, no but or outside of the industry like yeah. um like uh, Michael Pollan like somebody who's just like when he writes a book it's like I just learned this I'm so excited about it. let me share it and to me that is like a, the most exciting place to write from or teach from. Um, and so I had that going for me, I would say. It was like, I just, the right level of, of excitement. I just jumped into it. And, and so, you know, I, and then, then what came later was like, I started getting deeper and I, I started the Court of Master Sommeliers and, and that is when the flashcards arrived. Yeah, and that was, um, I think the Court of Master Sommeliers was interesting because it like, I would help Sam study. And so I would like have to go buy wine for, to like you know in our relationship as soon as Sam got into wine it was like I never had to buy wine again like it was he just was so good at knowing exactly what to get that was like always just I had a very skewed idea of like what wine tasted like because he always brought home the most amazing wine and then all of a sudden you know so he could do the blind tasting I had to go buy the wine and it was hellish it was just a horrible experience it was standing in our liquor store and the guy who worked there honestly was so kind and really tried to help me but I think we were at like an equal knowledge level. And so we just like, 
it was, you know, and it was be very specific things. Like he'd want to be able to like compare. I mean, I can't even remember yeah. what the purpose was, but, and then all of a sudden I, I watched as like, cause I would work at the restaurant when they needed like an extra server in the shoulder season. Often you're like pulling in. Yeah. You know, wine dinners. Or- yeah. Wine dinners. And I had watched it like, he, the way he was talking about wine to people really changed. And all of a sudden, rather than like his literary background, like telling these stories about the people, he was throwing down these like facts that made like people were just, you could see they like, they weren't reacting in the same way. It like made them feel intimidated rather than like inspired. And like the things he was memorizing just like, cause he would practice his flashcards and like, I would like quiz him. And it was like, why the are you bothering to memorize all this stuff like is it what is the purpose of this and it really I don't know to me it just like that was when I think we first started talking about like wine from like a more philosophical Mm -hmm. we started to really talk about like if we had started something together like what would be the point what matters what What, matters like, like, like instead of like why wine the question is like what like yeah like well, but like, why yeah, wine? Yeah, but why like, wine, why, yeah. why does wine matter? Like, why does it have a right to have this like special place in our hearts? And I don't think for either of us, it's has anything to do with like blind tasting and like this, like sort of like becoming this expert where you're, I don't know, you're further separating yourself from the pack where it's like, I can do this thing that no one else can do. And that makes me special. It's more your ability to like bring other people into it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and that's what you were so good at, I think, because you, you are a writer and you're really nice you like always made people feel I mean I my go-to move like people would come into Atria and I just like I have this one couple very specifically in my mind but they like people would come in and they would you know wine list is an intimidating thing and like one thing that Christian always did really well is it's a very fancy restaurant but he made anyone feel welcome in there and it was really important, I think, to, and especially to Greer. I mean, like the owners, they really wanted people to feel like if this was like the one night you were going to go out in a fine dining restaurant because it was your anniversary, they wanted you to like feel as welcome as like the people who could afford to eat there every Friday or something. And you were so good at that. Like people would be like, oh, I don't know anything about wine. I, I'll just have whatever. Be like, no, let me get the sommelier. I've never met your husband, but you know, he's really, he'll get you something that you'll really like. And you would just, talk to people about wine in this way that it like removed all like the veneer like mm. all the scary part it just mm. like fell away and I felt like the court of master Somalia was like undoing that a bit for you yeah I remember I remember you I was having a lot of conversations about that yeah and just feeling like <laughs> you know like yeah, I remember like, you not letting that go at all <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and like it just there were the and what was unique about my the the vineyard and what made like the court of Massa is like uh, this fit for me at the time was like I could study all winter you know the restaurant would I'd be I'd be in it I'd be tasting more than a, a typical sommelier in a, in a city like New York or, or any city on the west coast because I was it was like a one-man show in a sense and it was the business there's so much business so much wines up being sold so many distributors coming to taste me that like you just like the exposure was massive 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 super concentrated and then it would be like that you'd be silent and just like, all right, time to time to like crush the flashcards, time to like visit wine regions. We'd go to Europe and we'd, yeah. we, we would we would really like spend a lot of, of an inordinate amount of like our income on like silly, silly trips like to Portugal, like, which was amazing. You should definitely go. But um, but yeah, and just like it was. And so I but I think that that, we, you know, but to kind of to answer your question, like there was those first few years where it was just I was 
engaging with people like just one step ahead of them in terms of like what I was really uncovering and learning and could turn around unlike a, a novel where it's like you're writing to an audience in the future five years in advance um, and polishing it and rethinking it, rethinking it. It's like, I, I would like show up and be like, all right, we have a wine dinner for like 40 people tonight. We're doing like, and I could just be like, all right, we're gonna do Sicily. And, and then, you know, we'd sell, I built a Squarespace bike for the website and we were selling tickets in advance. And, and, and we, I would, I would kind of like put together my thoughts and it would be like the same uh, exercise as writing a novel, but it would be like, this is something I'm gonna get up and talk to people about tonight. And yeah. this is, we're gonna be opening bottles tonight. And we're gonna be like, there's gonna be that moment of discovery for all these people. And there's gonna be that magic. And, and it's just like, it just, it's like being, it was like, I'm not somebody who wants to sit, you know, I'm not a sedentary person. So it was all of a sudden it was like, it was like being a writer, but like on my feet and it just was a good fit. And, and I think my that level of knowledge I had at that point was perfect for that. Um, and then when we did, when I did go deep into the master sommelier thing, that is when like I started noticing a disconnect and I was moving further away from like the things that mattered and the things that uh, were accessible to a normal wine drinker. And it, I, I could sense that becoming dangerous uh, and, and less exciting to me. And, yeah. and then just the court itself wasn't a good fit for me in terms of like, it just, they, they, kind, of, they kind of like, the higher you get, they kind of like just polish away all of things that make you unique as a person <laughs> and, or as like an individual and you find yourself just like working so hard to conform to this ideal of a sommelier and it's just like so much work for and you lose so much in my opinion as it there's it, it, more loss and gain and so yeah and so yeah and, and so I got to like the as far as doing the advanced course um I think maybe that was maybe 20 I can't remember the exact yeah. year but 2015 2016 and and it just at that point Katie and I was like it was like do I do do I do the advanced exam do I it's like a winter of flashcards or a winter of, uh, of of like building something with Katie. That's things that we actually believe in. And the it was like a few hours of indecision, and then like a very obvious choice. And yeah, and that was that was when like it was like all in on one piece, and like forgetting like like essentially like yeah, light, start... lighting the flashcards up, like throwing the pen. And so no, they're still they're still in the storage. <laughs> they're still in the storage. Yeah, yeah. like like there's some actually we're like there's in the midst of moving. So yeah, I'm trying to like figure out a place to put them. <laughs> He keeps uh, asking him, where to put these. It's like, oh, should I, I keep these? Uh, I, I, I should opinion. probably keep these, right? I have an opinion on that, but we'll, we'll let that opinion go. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah, because I've gone back to school. And so starting the company for me, it was like, if we're going to do this, you have to be willing to like go all in on this idea. Like we're not going to start a wine company together, which is like your, you know, wine was definitely Sam's silo more than mine we're not going to start a wine company while you simultaneously try to like pursue this like law degree in wine like either we're doing a hundred percent this and it also very sadly meant him leaving that job at Atria, which i think that was a harder that was maybe one of the hardest yeah. decisions that you've ever had to make because yeah. that was such a good fit and like the owners really are like family and it, it was a type of job i could it, it was just like it's a, a once in a lifetime i could just have been i would have been like my life and and well, I definitely, you know, that was for, seemed like a distinct possibility for for a number of years. Like, yeah. whether it's taking over the restaurant or just running the wine program, I mean, it just everything kind of it's a, it's hard to find a, a niche. It's hard to find a thing you love on Martha's Vineyard and be able to afford to live there. Yeah, we don't come from like the wealthy side of Martha's Vineyard. We come from like more like the people who live there live there, and so it's really hard to make it make things fit. And yeah. I think and all we could picture our life like you working there, but, and I was working at community services doing like mental health stuff. And had gone back to school or not back 
had gone to school for the first <laughs> time in my 30s to get a degree and do like psychology. And we, we built a house I and mean, we thought that was our life. We had our first kid and we like thought that the rest of our life was going to be spent living in Martha's Vineyard, like working in those two industries. But then we had the idea for Wine and Peace and it was just, it was, there was no way not to do it. Like it was just, somebody is going to do this. This is going to be the future of wine. I'm going to hate that person and hate myself if it's not us. So yeah. like, we're doing this. And it grew out of as much as like what we believed wine should be is what like, I, we felt the master sommelier program was kind of like lacking. Like, yeah. and it's like, uh, and it's like uh, focus on like what's in the glass kind of only and ignoring everything outside the everything glass. Else. It was like, wait a sec. Like to me, that's like the opposite of why I got into wine. For me, wine has always been about almost everything else. And yeah, sure. It's delicious. And I like, I love geeking out about the wine itself but like that is like I could I could I could almost forget that part of it and, yeah. and it could be everything else and so for us it was like how do we draw one place wine in a broader conversation in a broader context that includes everything else that we care about which we can get more into but yeah so like what that's really where the wine and peace idea was born in that that yeah. like that fall of 2018 or something like that yeah um so all right, so so you have this idea that it's kind of like you say, like an idea you can't ignore. Um, so tell us, tell me what the kind of initial. Obviously, I'm I'm assuming the concept that you've come out with now is not the exact same as the initial. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me. Last, <laughs> really, so, you kind of like pivoted, <laughs> as they say. Yeah, you would, you would be oh right. God, you, would be right. you would definitely be right. So tell, tell me, tell me what the, you, you kind of have talked about the initial impetus is like this kind of pushback against the CMS training, pushback against the idea of what's in the glass is all that matters. So tell me what it was that mattered to you in the beginning and what the kind of initial idea was to, to do. What, what, what was it you were hoping to bring to the world? Yeah. I mean, I think it really began around making wine education accessible yeah. and bringing people together. Yeah. So it was based on this idea of, of empowering people through education and, and and embracing wines like inherent ability to bring people together and it yeah. was like how do we do that well we create a, <laughs> a, a, a basically a wine a wine club a subscription service that is like a group learning subscription service where we're sending half bottles um you know to that's basically a lesson box essentially wine and yeah. peace began is like a le this idea of doing interactive lesson boxes yeah where you're getting a number of half bottles and you're getting lesson tools and you're like making Don't, that wine it, school yeah like, wine, it, it was like it was like that wine school that we it was martha's vineyard wine school in a box essentially and and you know wine and peace the idea was you know and and so that that was a, the nugget of, of that's got us started and and we were able to like we basically like were able to raise a small amount of money enough to like on that idea yeah. alone from from a few kind of uh, angel investors if you will people we knew through the restaurant I mean, they really were angels to, yeah like, come in on yeah, this. They were, like they yeah. i mean jesus criminy yeah and so we pit we got like it's like for me like as as foreign as the restaurant world was to me when i first got into it <laughs> such was the the startup world when we got into that it was yeah. like and i think like we've thrived off like that like pivot again it's or like you know life pivot and i talked about like being one step ahead and that that ex the excitement of discovery and getting to share that and that is suddenly what we were doing now in the business world. It was like the excitement of discovering the, the startup world and getting to like share it, whether it's with investors or with other, with winemakers. And we were on another journey. And, and that was like, now we were like getting to, to jump into it. And yeah, and so I was on maternity leave. Um, I was like, I had, we had just had our first kid and I was on maternity leave and like started 
writing like our business plan and like use that time. And then it was, uh, we, Sam had these amazing, I mean, we had some just incredible, I've done TEDx Martha's Vineyard um, on the vineyard for a few years. And one of the people I met in doing that was this um, guy, Christopher Celeste, who's, um, his daughter's actually become like one of my absolute best friends. But at the time he just came on to very awesomely support TEDx Martha's Vineyard. And when we started Wine and Peace, he just like offered to help us like you know, just that person on the vineyard, like our, our community saying like, we want to start a wine startup and sell wine online and like do the entrepreneurial journey. Um, it just was so foreign to the people in our community, our like direct community, that it sounded like we were crazy, which is, you know, I mean, it, like we've had that a few times, like I'm going to start like an Asian restaurant in Mexico. Like, it's not like it was like that foreign of a concept, but um, it's still, you know, we really needed like real help. Like what the hell do we do next? And this guy, Christopher just offered to be our mentor and we would go to his living room and kind of pitch ideas. And his encouragement made all the difference because it took it from a lofty kind of like cerebral fun thing to think about to like, okay, well, what's your next like actionable thing? Like, what are you gonna show me next time that you've done? Mm. And really holding us, not in, a, in any like stern way, but like in an enthusiastic Christopher way, like this, like, I can't wait to see it, like, just so amazing. And, and he's somebody unique because he's been very successful in business and like, the like, but hasn't lost his like childlike joy of just creating something new and like following a passion. Like it, he wasn't somebody who was like looking at the numbers and yeah, like, trying to like, all. and like all of a sudden it became this thing. It was like, no, like think about the long game. Like, what do yeah. you want? What, what, what are you, what's your dream? You know, what do you want to achieve? And. And so he started, he, he was like the inventor of the playaway, which was the first like audiobook. So he'd gone on like the entrepreneurial journey. And so he had like the thing of like how you raise angel funds and how you like, like all this like concrete knowledge. But then, yeah, what Sam's saying, like he just, he approaches the world in this like joyful, like magical way that was so necessary because the entrepreneurial journey is, is brutal. Oh my God. Yeah. So, 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 so like, yeah, we essentially, we thought of the idea, we raised a small amount of money and we, we were like, all right, let's like, where do we, where do we move? Kind of like, yeah. and we just built the house. We just had a baby. And yeah, we, were, and, we weren't even really, yeah, we were, yeah, I mean, we, weren't, like, we weren't thinking of moving per se, but it was like, we got to like, what's the next move? Yeah. It's, what's it's, the next move? We have to like hire some tech talent yeah. and like start building and a little team. And because while the idea was still very like a physical thing, because we aren't tech people. So it was hard for us to dream of something that existed purely in the digital realm. It was still like, we knew we needed a website. We needed a platform. So Katie went, while she was writing the business plan at night, she was also like going on Behance, which is a platform for designers. And she was finding cool des like web designers all over the world. And London and Rome and we were having like these zoom not pre-zoom like fun like did you know calls with them and like and we we met a, a design firm in, in Montreal called Akufen um and we we they seemed amazing they were a design soulmate they love I mean, wine they like just were they had done work with with like um Lucky Peach uh, Lucky Peach yeah and David Chang for some of his websites all his Momofuku restaurants and for the websites and we just like we hit it off with it sounded great Montreal seemed cool and they invited they asked yeah. us to come down here to do like an initial like you know like like see if we were a good fit I will say that we'd been to Montreal the winter before because Katie as a Christmas present bought us tickets to Montreal in February <laughs> these are like super cheap okay all right <laughs> to be it was fair, awesome it was part of a every month we, yeah, know, it was we an just, amazing present. we just had a kid and so it was a, a a calendar where every month I like planned one thing that we would do that was fun so like life stayed fun 
And yes, like one of those fun things, like it was, you know, we also saw, what's his name? We saw like comedy oh, shows. Oh yeah, we saw John Oliver, that was cool. Yeah, we yeah. like went to Boston and saw like- It was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, but yes, the one of the things was definitely, I, and I couldn't figure out why they were so cheap. I was like, <laughs> why are these tickets to this amazing city so cheap? And then you opened it and you were like, oh, February, Montreal, that's an interesting choice. And like people kept asking if we had like good winter coats. And I was like, why? Oh shit, like it's really cold there. Um, but so yeah, yeah, we came and- So we'd been we were, once before we had a taste of it, but when we met, it was at that, that like it was no uh, late October of 2018. We came here. We stayed in in uh, like I think it was the I can't remember. We hadn't really discovered the the part that we would later become our home, but we met Akufen, and it was just like you open up the door. And it was just like this design office, and like you know we grew up on Martha's Vineyard and then living in Mexico. We had like a very we've had like a very weird life, you know. We haven't like lived in like a real American city, and like and so like we're just or a Canadian city, but just like being exposed to like. The, these these artists and designers who were in it just like it was such a, well, and, a cool spot a vibrant spot and then like and when we had our first meeting yeah. like you know we are we were literally there with our daughter who was you know like a year and something a year and change and on the vineyard like when I would say I wanted to go back to work or like was starting a company like the react like often when people would say like oh like is Sam's job okay like it was like this like thing that was happening to us that was unfortunate like I had to work for and we're so blessed that with Sam's job that hadn't been the case I just like love to work and we did our first design meeting with them and like the table was already like 70% women and then right at like five o'clock like everyone stood up and like we have to go get our kids from daycare and it was like wait what you all have children and they're like yeah and it was like you have daycare and they're like yeah it's subsidized by the government like it starts at six months and it was like, oh, there's a place in the world where women aren't expected to just like stay home with children as soon as they have them. Because on the vineyard, it's nearly impossible to find daycare until your kid's three. Like there's, there's just, there's private, there were like a handful of private daycares, but it is, it's just not possible. I mean, even when we were just home, like getting her into daycare was the hardest part. Whereas here, there's a daycare, a few daycares like on every block. It's like they're more prolific than like little tiendas are in, in New York City. It's it shows how much daycare you need to have daycare that's like available. And even here, there's waiting lists. But it's definitely assumed that like women should or, or families should have like the option of both people working. And that was for me like that was the big unlock. Like that was I changed our tickets. Yeah, it's very okay. sneakily. Like I was in the bedroom packing for us to go back to Boston, and I changed our tickets, and then went out, and I was like, Sam, maybe we should stay in Montreal. And he was like, Yeah, I got the notification on my credit card. You already changed the ticket. And it was like, Well, yeah, and, and it was like, and then it was sort of like we hit it off with Aquafin, and then we just realized that Montreal was sort of the way that San Miguel reflected like. Uh, it was a place that we could live out the what we thought was the American dream in a, in a, in a, in this different place. Like that was what Montreal felt like. It was like, wow, you can afford to live here, and you don't have to be like, you know, you you don't have to have this crazy job. You can be like a cellist in a symphony and have like a beautiful apartment, have like your kid in daycare, <laughs> yeah. and like it's just like, and there was amazing, cool natural wine bars, and like yeah. it's just like it was like art and and culture and all the things that appeal so to us about events. Europe. And when yeah. we visit when we visit Italy and and see like the way just everything seems so integrated and and it just that we felt that here and so katie yeah, yeah katie changed our tickets we decided to find an apartment like, literally like overnight we were yeah. like let's stay here let's this is rather than going to san francisco potentially or wherever else uh, tech you go if you're starting a tech company let's see if we can start something really yeah. cool here and 
and Montreal, like it's like they've been putting a huge amount of investment in startups. Like we to get we applied for an entrepreneur visa, and to get that visa, you have to get accepted into a Oh um, what are they called? Uh, incubator. So an, an incubator. Well, really an accelerator. An accelerator. And so like we had to apply for one of those, but there's there's a huge, like from the government to like the, there's a, all the schools, like the incubator we're part of um, is part of Concordia University. I mean, you can just tell there's like, they understand that technology is the future. And so there's a huge amount of investment in like entrepreneurialism. That's not a word, yeah. but like just doing, like supporting people with ideas and AI is huge here. There's like a bunch. So it's, I never knew that. Like I didn't know a lot about Montreal um, before moving here, but it's, it's unbelievable. And the other thing they invest in is families. Like we were at, they have public pools, like thousands of them. And so we were at a public pool last, or I guess two summers ago and we were in line and this couple in front of us was complaining because it was only free on weekdays and on weekends it was like two dollars for adults or four dollars for adults and two dollars for children and they were like how can it not be free on the weekends and I was just sitting there thinking on Martha's Vineyard that would be like 22 bucks like you have no idea and like every weekend there's like a new another cool thing going on in the parks it's completely free it's like how do we enrich life for everybody using like tax money. And it's it works out really well. I'll say that it's a great idea. We're doing a terrible and job. Just the idea of being able to hire first few employees and like pay them a living wage and like yeah, give them so benefits. Was, like we just like didn't see how we could fit the pieces together sustainably yeah. in an American city that we really, you know, that's had that same degree of culture and 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 yeah. and, and like tech talent and like uh, you know, all all the the, the different things of you need to put together a company like this. And yeah, that's really true. Like it was really important to us that we weren't just like supporting the ideals we cared about in the wine industry, but that our company reflected those ideals. So that means healthcare and childcare and living wage and bonuses and putting money into like, you know, savings accounts for retirement. My stepfather very sweetly was saying that we have to make sure we do that for yeah. everyone. But it's like, you know it's how do you do that in a way that like you can still have a profitable company and it's like you moved to Canada <laughs> yeah so and so essentially we 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 built this house we had a baby and my parents were like okay they're here they're gonna live on the island this is gonna be awesome yeah and then like in it was November it was like five days before Thanksgiving it's like we're moving to Montreal guys so we like loaded up the U-Haul we've got you know we like we went we went for the we crossed we attempted to cross the border and the border was like because oh, yeah. the the, the it, idiosyncrasy about like Canada is at least our experience of it is like Quebec government and like and like the, the federal government don't always communicate so well so while we had this awesome opportunity with the entrepreneurial you know visa, visa in in Quebec the the people at the border who is the federal government knew nothing about this and we're like why are you like coming with the u-haul and without like a visa and like yeah. there's like house plants like mattresses in the backyard like what's what you can't like just like roll into Canada with like a, <laughs> like move yeah. so so we hit some snags along the way and because we had to like literally spend the night in like a La Quinta in New York upstate New York and like try again in the border the next morning and show that we had money in our bank account yeah. it was like when we you know not realizing what the confusion was going to be we we didn't like phrase everything to make it clear that like we weren't coming here to work and take jobs like you know we've spent you know half a million dollars in Montreal now like we were bringing a lot of money here and like coming to like through this like legal process but you know, I can see why it sounded of course. Yeah, like we looked, it was our fault. Looked, it looked crazy. Willfully. It looked crazy. And so we, but like, there was that moment of like, like they talk about like those, those like moments of uncertainty in, in like starting a business or doing anything. And it's like, 
like like staying in like a like that hotel oh, that night it's such and like a dark night we left with so so tri- with so tri- such a triumphant moment like driving away and like feeling we're starting to sing and the idea of having to like drive home in the with U-Haul, all that stuff <laughs> it was just like this really really brutal rough. and I remember we actually had to leave some plants in a parking lot like outside of like some like strip mall because we yeah. knew that like they wouldn't let us bring in the plans yeah and, and they were my mom's plans and, and just, just, away. And just it was a like, really really hard and, decision. and just knowing that we could get turned turned away anyway and if we get turned away it's like that's kind of that that at least the path to, to the dream was was closed and would have killed all the plants and we like, would go it was like, but the, the, the plant actually it turned out okay. the plants were fine it ended up yeah. that when sam's parents came and visited for christmas we asked them sam's mom is a amazing gardener and we said can you just go by and see if the plants go by the like, strip mall just see because we literally left them at like two in the morning in the freezing cold like and she went by and she they were fine like someone had put them inside someone had put them inside like, and watered them and they they were like we don't want them they just were very sad and so she was able to collect them but, all and they're living happily in Sam's parents but like so we we arrived story. to Montreal we like literally had to find a babysitter online oh yeah because we were a day late because we were a day late to pitch the the incubator because if we didn't get into the incubator the again we couldn't get a visa and so literally it was a, a through Concordia called District 3. It's an accelerator program here in the city. And like, oh we we like, so we had to like stay in a hotel at night because we didn't have time to get into the apartment. Yeah, we yeah. thought we'd have like two days to prepare yeah. for this thing. And instead it was like, you know, we literally like, I remember running to the pharmacy to buy tights. Cause like, yeah. and like you going through the back of the U-Haul to just find like anything we could wear that like wasn't what we'd been in for like three days. Yeah. And, and, and so yeah, we- And we, just pitching it on the fly, just like having yeah. a slideshow, but being like, and we will, describe each slide as we go through because I don't remember what's on here we made this months ago it was, but it worked out yeah so we 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 act, they accepted us which was thank god and so that was our kind of our home base for the first year or so we were here and yeah and um, like just such a cool program like, yeah d3 has been the best and 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 so yeah we're still we're still technically a part of, of the accelerator group yeah. um but we just kind of work from our own office now um but yeah just from the beginning Montreal has been an awesome launch pad but we've pivoted along the way you know so we went from this idea of basically the the takeaway and to, to any like entrepreneurs who are listening or people interested in wine but also wanting to like start a company and maybe try to do something different yeah than, than what currently exists is like you know like we learned a lot about how to start a company you know um and one of the main things we learned is it's like it's the the right way to do it isn't being like you know what'd be cool and then being like let's do that it's, it's more like seeing trying to like find problems that exist within an industry and like how to solve them you know so what what are pro- what problems are currently exist in the industry and what can you do to to kind of like yeah, yeah. what can you build to like best solve that problem and, and that so was we, the opposite of the way we'd approach it before and d3 encouraged us to do interviews you know and we thought we were doing interviews about our idea but like we would just do these i mean we did over 100 interviews hmm. where we would just do these rambling i'd call winemakers winemakers i'd I'd carried their wine at the restaurant or like yeah. just read about or like dreamed of meeting or reading about, you know, these are like my heroes, you know, like when you're a, a, a wine director in a small town in, a, in not a major city, you like don't get opportunities to connect with these people in real life and you read about them, you drink their wines, and you teach people about them, but like you don't really think of them as real people to that. I mean, they're, they're these like kind of, they're celebrities a little bit, at least to me. And, and so all, we just started like, I just started cold calling them, you know, and um, I remember Renee from Hundred Sons is one of the first people oh I God. called and she was like so nice you know and like uh, you know and and I just started asking people questions and trying to learn about um, Sam from um, Idlewild in California and, and Jared from from Donkey and Goat, Jared and Tracy. I would just call call people and be like you know what 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 are what are you what are your struggles you know 
And we also called a lot of like- Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Like, but, but- And we sat down with consumers here and you know, like we just talked to so many people. On the winemaker side though, what was so interesting, it was like as a, the relationship between a sommelier and a winemaker is like, it, it, it can be great. You know, you can go out there and visit them, but there's always like the distributor between, you know, you have to like write the distributor and be like, can I visit this winemaker or can I call this winemaker? And, and they hook you, they set it up and you feel special and you go out there and you visit them. But there's always like a performative aspect because you are a customer of that winery. You know, if you have a great visit, they, you, you order a bunch of their wine and you teach people in your community about them. And so there's like a, a relationship that exists between sommelier and winemaker that includes a distributor and also inc includes a bit of performance or at least yeah. uh, there's a certain dynamic to it. Whereas all of a sudden now it was like, tell me about like what it's like, like what, it, like what you're like, give me the, like the, the down and dirty. The, yeah, the down and dirty, you know, like I don't want to know about how, how awesome it is to be a winemaker, like how beautiful and pastoral. I don't want the, the romance. I want like, what, what are your struggles, you know? Yeah. And that was so cool and like, so like so just boring. that, and that like influence has influenced so much sense because it was like so much about what our mission is to like show the like a more authentic, real side, like a relatable side to winemakers. And, and you know, they're not just these, these kind of like two dimensional, uh, like like icons who make wine and that's all they live and breathe it. They're also like picking their kids up at daycare to kids yeah. point and like having side jobs and like scraping by. It's like such a, and, and that was something I hadn't realized to the, that extent was how much of a struggle it is financially, you know, and, and how tight things are. And, and so, and one thing what we started hearing again and again and again was like direct consumer. Yeah. And it was like, man, if I could just sell a little bit more direct consumer or a lot more, you know, um, I, I could like buy that truck. You know, I could like take that vacation. I could just like take a little of the pressure off. Yeah. And we started realizing that like the system, the three tier system and the distribution system was for small guys, a real, could, could be crushing because like it just, the, the, pro, the, the amount, you know, the, the margins just get so, so tight when you're selling to a distributor who's in selling to the, the, the retailer who's in selling to the, the distribute, the, the customer. Um, it just was, was you can you can talk to somebody who to you is like killing it you know like they're written about in in books and magazines and their wines are sold throughout the country but like they're, they're the small business owners who are struggling yeah and that was like a, such an eye-opener for us and um, ironically like i'd when sam back when sam was studying for the master court of master sommelier and i was in school um i was working on a paper and was writing about etsy and i was like sam like why isn't there an etsy for wine like why can't you make an etsy for wine and we looked into it a little bit and found out like Amazon was kind of working or like had something like that, but that like we, a lawyer, someone connected us with a lawyer really quickly. And the lawyer was like, yeah, the, you know, Amazon's doing it. Like don't touch something they're doing. And it's, there were like some other issues. And so that was like, so we we're like, okay. And like, we looked into it a little bit, but it really, we were working in the lesson box and like there was the momentum and we raised some money on this idea. So like, you know, we weren't quite as comfortable with the idea of like pivoting yet. And so we just put it away. But then when we, after our Portugal trip and like when we were doing all these interviews, it just, it was like, it just was like this idea that was just there and it, it kept like coming back. And then we got that phone call from, or we had another phone call with a lawyer in the wine industry who was like, yeah, so Amazon, because they bought Whole Foods, it's, um, they can't, do it anymore like they can't hold both a direct-to-consumer license and the other license a, yeah, like so he's like so go 
do that yeah. idea. Like, and, and to me, oh my God. Coming like, from the industry, and when Katie mentioned it, like kind of like had that light bulb moment early, it just seemed too simplistic to me. Like <laughs> being in the industry, it was so complicated. Like the three, it was just like, no, like no way. Like clearly someone would have done that if you could and like blah, blah, blah. And, and so we just kind of like, and I love the idea of education. I don't want to lose that. I like, yeah. And, and, but what I was more comfortable with completely changing like yeah. on a whim. Like I was like, whatever, like we've been working on this, let's do this. And Sam was like, and you know, I was like negotiating half bottles and like all these yeah. things. But once we, once we, uh, just yeah, the more we realized too that we could infuse education into this yeah. idea. And so, literally, in that year of, of interviewing not just winemakers but consumers and realizing that the wine make the, the wine buying experience was also pretty crappy Horrible. for a lot of people. Yeah, when I kept coming home with wine for his education, he'd be like, Yeah, that's great, that's just like an industrial produce, like. Like every time I disappointed him, like I never once brought home a wine where he was like, yes, perfect buy. It was always like the unveil after like the blind tasting and he'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And there was a huge disconnect between like the way I spoke to people about wine in the restaurant and like the, 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 the spark that I tried to spark this, you know, a bit of joy. And then they would that they'd go to try to buy those wines at, at retail oh stores. God, yeah. and, and if you're lucky, you do have an awesome shop near you and you do have those experiences, yeah. but a lot of people don't. And so and we just realized that like the, how antiquated the, the retail experience of buying wine ha still was. And, and it could kind of, again, it goes back to the weirdness of the three tier and the disconnect, how many layers there are between the people and the product. Yeah. And so we just like, it, it, it kind of clicked for us. It's like, how can we solve these two problems where we have like winemakers who need to sell more DTC, who, but aren't equipped to do so we really have no way to sell one on the internet to a large group, you know, to reach a lot of people on the internet and sell DTC. Maybe they're selling 2%, or 10% if they're lucky of their total inventory. And then we also had customers who kind of like don't don't realize that buying wine can be awesome. Yeah. And so, and how do we solve these two side problems? Well, a two-sided marketplace where people can buy wine directly from wine, these small winemakers and like a common, like a human-sized marketplace on, on the internet. Um, and like a more we can enrich that experience in the way Sam was able to, because like part of like the education box was like making Sam in the box. Like how do we infuse like his passion and his knowledge which like elevated the experience of like what is essentially fermented grape juice to this like magical thing and like you are so key to that where it's like if i open a bottle of wine alone it's still just alcoholic like an alcoholic beverage whereas if you're there because you have all this like knowledge you make it so magical and so our the lesson box was our attempt to do that in the real world but that's really hard again with the margins and everything because we would have to buy the wine. And it's not solving any of the two problems. Yeah, it doesn't solve any of the problems. Whereas like online, it's like, all right, now we can try to do that both online and off, like make these enriching experiences and really grow this new generation of people who are super passionate about wine using modern tools, using modern storytelling tools. So using video and using, you know, photography and all these like fun, like allowing winemakers to communicate directly with their customers, like through, photography through, through like Instagram and stuff so it was really this like it was like all the pieces fit but but what was, so, what was so funny too is that like we had this dream that there would be this time when people would want to buy one on the internet and connect with yeah, producers oh directly and like and and you know sort of this more direct relationship of buying wine online and and a, a, the winemakers desire to, to 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 connect with customers online and then it's like and we assumed it would happen down the road in year in like the next yeah, five we're, years. We were we pitching investors and people would be like, no one's gonna buy wine online. Like it's a cool idea, guys, but like I mean we would walk out like 
they will, they will, they will buy wine online, we swear. And we got rejected so many times when COVID happened and it was like- Then COVID hit and it was crazy it was, just to see like companies that, you know, like Wink and other companies that we've like, we, we've watched kind of like just to, to gauge how one does kind of newer models and sells one on the internet and and just to see like the the crazy change of everything happening when yeah. COVID hit and we hadn't launched yet it was we were like probably two three months away from launching and we decided to essentially rush crazily met do we we had a we I remember going for a run up the mountain in Mont in, in here in Montreal and then like having this crazy epiphany it's like we gotta like get this product out here like this is crazy like the not only like is our you know our is wine our wine sales going crazy but like i'm on the phone all day with our winemakers and like their distributor contracts are dropping the restaurants are closing like it was like early march mid-march and like the world the wine world was like changing overnight i would talk i would have conversations i remember having a conversation with sashi mormon from pietro sassi where he was just like man like like goodbye like so much of this the industry that we know and love it's just like it's it, everything's about to change and he's somebody i love talking to because he thinks so so like far in the distance and such such a high view of things and very philosophically and uh and just yeah just i would have these long, i just remember like the dark dark my our dark office having these long conversations with winemakers um and just just being like you know where is this leading and and what can we do um if anything we're, we we haven't even launched yet and and so ultimately we decided to like just launch without taking essentially without taking revenue we would just yeah we just we, we, we did like a very beta version of the site where we would basically we hadn't built out the infrastructure in the back yet so the winemakers would simply you ordered wine through a site the winemakers would ship it from the winery and they would get all the profit and yeah. we would just kind of we, like get yeah. to exist <laughs> you know it was like <laughs> which is nice <laughs> and so and so it was like this moment this way of kind of jumping into the mix during this crazy time when when people needed a new it was like getting to prove our model essentially because yeah. we were saying like we believe that what we were doing would be something people needed winemakers needed and customers would love wine drinkers would love and 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 this was an opportunity to kind of just like show that at a time when there's a lot of people looking on the internet suddenly to buy wine yeah and and our team worked so hard to like make it happen like we we have a very very small team and they just like really they were actually pretty excited because we're always the ones who are like all right guys it's just like our because our team is younger and like they're like they're more in the startup world and tech and so they're just like it's it's iterate. It's like at the beta, and we're like, "What's a beta?" Like, yeah. <laughs> but they just like they worked so. And so suddenly, all of a sudden, it was like, "All, all go for it. Let's yeah, go. Like, let's go. Let's like do it." And so like everyone got. It was just like, this moment where everything really came together. And, yeah. And just I just remember like calling hello. I mean, because it's a really weird, hard business model in the sense that like we, it's not like us selling our own wine. You know, we're a marketplace, and so we have to like, we have this like, cohort of of like dozens and dozens of wineries from. Right now, all on the West Coast, they're all between the Willamette Valley and various regions in California. Um, so, like, it's like there. It's like we we want to be. We want to. It's like our our job is to help them. And and so like anytime there's something big happens, it's like get on the phone with all the winemakers, like call them, write them, wrangle them together, and fill them in on what we're doing. And like and like and and from the beginning, like so essentially, like before. I mean, to go back slightly, like before we before COVID hit we started taking trips out to the, the, out to the wine region. We did two, two trips, like one in the one right at harvest and one then in, in January. And like, that was the first time some of these guys we were meeting in face to face and telling about what we were doing. And you didn't say what we're doing. Yeah. Clear, yeah. Yeah. And, and so just like this idea of 
of, of creating this platform where these winemakers across the country can sell wine directly to the consumer is essentially the idea. And, and so we had to go pitch winemakers and visit them. And, and, and it was like an extension of those early conversations where I was visiting winemakers no longer as a sommelier, but somebody who was like trying to solve a problem and help and help as best we could. Um, because this is in like, we, this is, these are the producers that we've come to love so much. And, and it was like to be able to sit down with Sashi Mormon or Kate and Tom from Division. They, they, Kate was our first, our very first visit yeah. in, in, we sat at her wine, her wine bar and just like, she was like our number one spot, like on this huge trip we planned to, to just literally just like tell winemakers what we we're doing. Are they interested? Does this make sense? Like we were, I was so nervous that they would just be like, what? Like, no. what, like why would I do? Like, and we just had no idea what the response would be. Um, because it, it, it went from we like, invested, like, it went from we like asking that. people questions on the phone and saying like, you know, like it was more abstract to like, here's, we have this and this is what we're proposing. And like, do you want to be a part of it? And people were just like, sounds great. Sign me up. You know, like, and it, it, it was insane to have that response because like, it just, it just was for us, it was this confirmation of like, that we're, uh, yeah. we're on the right track because the fact that we could go to like, not just like any old winery, but wineries that like to me were like, like I, we, I just like shot for the, yeah, he my shot favorite. For the top. Just he shot. wrote a list of his favorite wineries. And it was like that, I would have gone the opposite way. I would have like started like get some easy yeses. And Sam just like literally wrote out a list of his favorite wineries in the world. We're only American, so in America and went straight for them. And it was so scary. I mean, we had, Sam had quit a job. We have a mortgage. We have like now two kids, like we have, a life that you know we and no other income so it was like if this doesn't work like what are we gonna do with our lives and we you know on the plane going out it's like you know and we were with our kid like we don't we can't afford to like have a babysitter come so it was just like us like Sam having these like in our eyes like kind of like life or death conversations with me like chasing our like absolutely insane like two and a half year old like around the winery being like yep uh, like I agree with what he's saying. Like we're, we're professional, I swear. <laughs> and yeah, so that trip in 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 uh, we we started in in Willamette and, and met a bunch of producers there, and then kind of worked our way down the coast. And just it was during harvest, which was crazy. Yeah, so terrible it was the worst timing ever. But uh, but it was also we knew people would be there. I mean, we didn't like think of it in advance as a as a reason, <laughs> but it was just for us. It was like we got to get out there and like actually sit down with people. We got to go, and so. And so it happened to be like the, the basically the beginning of harvest. And so like, and as we moved, it almost seemed like harvest was like following us. And so we were just, it was um, hilarious. Cause like I said, like everyone was there. So it was like one of those things, if you go in January, you might be dealing with people who are like out in Europe or away or like away from the winery. So like people couldn't say they weren't there. So like, we kind of had this awesome way of kind of like actually seeing people, but everyone was crazy, crazy busy. And the spirit was high, like the energy was so high and like, just like it, it was, it was the the best time and the worst time to go. Um, I think people feel like are open at that time, but they're also like just can barely even have the time to sit down with you. So, yeah. but we did the whole coast, um, and we just people would be like, "Oh, have you been next door to like?" We discovered a lot of wineries. So, like when we saw like, for example, like Lingua Franca was a winery on my list, and I I sat down with um, like Samuel, I believe his name is. Um, who runs like the hospitality program there, like the wine director. And, and he showed me around and like, I, I, there was a sense that like, w it wasn't like the perfect fit because of how established they are and, and yeah. they're bigger than some of- I just thought they donated to the 19th. That, like, most of the wineries we work with, uh, they're, they're bigger. And, but at the same time, I mean, we work with wineries 
similar or larger now too, but like at the time, it's just like compared to some of the smaller guys, they were they're the level of like of kind of like institutional. Yeah, they didn't need us as much. Yeah, they didn't need perhaps. Yeah, and and anyway, so like, but while we were there, um, and I, if, if you're listening, like, give us a call. We'd love to work with you. But <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but so we, he, I could tell there was a point when Samuel like kind of like pawned me off on on like a winemaker who's using the space also. Who, who is Andrew and uh and we just like he was like in Carhartts and like just like and I was like okay this is like more my like my style <laughs> like that's and, and we started talking and he was just it, this was Odeant and his I just like I'd never seen I was not aware of this but they weren't on my list but like he took out he started taking out these bottles and like these beautiful handmade labels and like uh, op- and then he just started opening them and like it was like I had just done a more formal tasting with Lingua Franca and now here we are we're on these boxes opening these bottles and just like the wines were just like exploding in my mind because they were so like yeah they're so like di- they're different than a lot of the more kind of like stayed and polished expressions of the lamb and i tasted up until that point they were like it was pinot noir but it was like it almost tasted like wild and and like yeah. and sort of like we, we just it was like almost like a a little piece of like the, the gorge or something it was like a difference it's it, we were discovering as we went i guess and you, uh, I remember you, had, you came back and you just like had to write about it. Like yeah, that's no, when you know like Sam's like loved a lot and like you were just like I just need to like write this down. Like it was the most mind blowing experience. And and so those and then yeah. and, and and so folk we meet people like that along the way and they be, they become like in Teal, um, who's his who's Andrew's partner and and who who's really kind of like who started it with her uh, husband boyfriend. I'm not 100 sure, but like they're just so cool and like so like we we met people along the way and we added more to the cohort and. And we've since just become so close. With, and they've been so amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's like in any startup journey, it's like where, you know, we would give them a date for when we'd be launched and ready and have everything in place. And then, you know, months later, it's like, and they, it's they've mess. just been so kind and like, I don't know, never putting any pressure, never making it like, it just, we're, it's, you yeah. know, we, we understand we like have something so valuable. Like we have their, we now have their wines like in a, a fulfillment place so that we can mix cases and everything but it's it the kindness of all these people and like the support it's just been unbelievable it really it's has. like you, you can't ask for like a better group of people and we we really feel so much responsibility to like more than probably anything else like we're driven to just like make something successful for our team because oh my god they're incredible and then like for these wineries because they've just I don't know. I just feel like there's been so many opportunities where they could be like, you guys, like you said this and like it's months later, like what the heck? Like, what are you doing with your lives? And it's like, I think they know we're working as hard and as fast as we can, but we're we're often wrong about like how quickly we can get things done. And it's just been such a, like we didn't understand how challenging distribution was like in the industry. And, mm. you know, now we're working with an unbelievably awesome distribution center that is- And by distribution, we're talking more fulfillment. Fulfillment, we, we sorry. Don't, we aren't working with a distributor. Right, or, or sorry. Distributor. Yeah, like the sending the wine to the people. Like mm-hmm. Fulfillment, okay, yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. Um, sorry, new to the, new to the lingo. But um, it's a, it's just a, it's been really, I don't know, just like at every opportunity where it could be hard or like, you know, we'll ask them all these questions and then have to do a follow-up because we forgot to like get X amount of information, every person who's just been like kind and understanding and yep. like answers the texts and like, I don't know, it's, it's just yeah. been- I, There's been so many nights where I worry I'm letting down, I'm letting down the winemakers, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, man, I just like, but like when I make that call and I actually talk to some, I talked to Megan 
at margins or like Brent at Stodgy. Like you, you talk and it's like, oh man, like the wine industry is actually filled with like the, the most glad hearted, lovely people. Yeah. And being coming from like writing where it's like the publishing industry, New York publishing oh, industry, which is like, no offense, like can be brutal. And then, um, the, you know, like the startup world or, you know, and like, which is also like a pretty, like kind of like oh calculated so sort of like uh what's the word i'm looking for not sterile but it's it's like it, it doesn't have that same soul you, then you get to realize that like we have yes we're the startup but like we're a wine company and you get to yeah and every time i talk to some i call winemaker it's like i can hear the sunshine like, beaming through the phone yeah. and i just get to like inhabit their world and realize what we're doing this for and 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 just re remind myself how lucky we are to be in the wine industry and, yeah. and actually we, we hope doing something that can really contribute something meaningful. Yeah, because like that was the other thing that was crazy to realize is that like these winemakers, like the way the retail situation is set up, it's like when I was going there and I was trying to buy wine, if I was able to know, like distinguish the wines made by the people that we're working with, like look at it and be like, okay, that wine is made by like a huge wine conglomerate and it's like produced industrially and maybe like using labor practices that don't align with my values. And then this wine is made by like Megan, like, and like, I don't know, just all these people like Martha Stewman and like her philosophy around dry farming and like taking care of the earth and like Adelsheim, like they have so many, like, you know, they like, they literally, isn't Adelsheim who does like the dental truck mm -hmm. for their employees? Like just things that, I like wine. I, I, I will admit it, like I like wine a lot, but that is more important to me. Like how you treat the people who work for you is more important to me than wine. It, it just is. If I was able to distinguish that, I would choose those wines every time. But the industry has made it so that like none of that information is readily available to the consumer. And that doesn't benefit these guys. And what's amazing is that they were doing it anyway. Like none of these decisions are calculated decisions to like increase revenue. It's not like, oh, we'll like tweet about this dental truck and it'll like increase sales. It's literally just like, we're good people who care about people. And so we do the right thing. And I'm hoping that one of the things our platform can do is tell people that, like, I know you guys don't want to brag about it, but we will brag about it for you because it's incredible. And just making it, so like, that's one of the things that was important to us with the platform is like, you can buy any wine on our site and know that it like, it aligns to like our basic values. Like we don't allow wineries, like Sam does a deep dive into the people who want to sell with us and like looks at their like farming practices and labor practices. And it's like every single wine on our site is bought by, is made by a human who's like trying to make the world a better place. It's like trying to make the industry more like ethical and equitable. And it is like, a big part of it. That is, isn't, it's more, I mean, while we love small winemakers in, in any shape or size or any kind of any iteration, we really do zero in on a certain set of like practices and principles and, yeah. and try to promote that and like create a new lens into wine through those principles, as opposed to it just being a wall of wine that you're just, it's just label and price and great varietal. It's like, okay, no, let's come at it a new way. And it's not like region. And it's like, well, those things are fun. And it's, it's, this is like looking at wine through the lens of values and deciding like, all right, like, you know, if it's, if it's natural wine, like let's talk about like, process let's talk about intervention and things like that but let's also talk about equitable labor practices and things yeah. of this nature and and so we have a we have a we have an actual written you know uh values policy that all of our winemakers sign and that you know if you want to work on a platform you you are going to adhere to these to these kind of principles because it's 
to us, the industry is so big and there's so many nooks and crannies, but like let's zero in on the people who, who are really working in a way that we, we believe is, is like the future. Yeah. And so, um, and we've lost some miners along the way because they don't necessarily want to, that's not what they care about. Um, but we've also just like really hit a chord with a lot of others. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the question, but yep. <laughs> that was like hours ago. Who can you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you both care deeply about, you mentioned these causes, but inclusivity, exploration, social issues, activism, things like that, that are beyond wine, obviously, that are, that are within the wine world, but obviously go far beyond. So tell me about that kind of the idea of the kind of the value statement, where, where it comes from, what, 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 why, what values are so important to you, are that important, and how you kind of created that value, the values you want in your wineries to share. Well, it, uh, it's so it's funny it's like Sam definitely was he wrote like our value statement that's like specific to wineries because he's has like all the wine knowledge clearly but I think the idea of the having values be so prominent on the platform um, right when we were first starting to talk about doing an entrepreneurial thing um, I had gone back to school or gone to school um, to do psychology and one of my first classes was a speech giving class and it was um, the teacher, I don't know if it was, he just was awesome. And so instead of making it about how to like give a good speech, he literally just made it about social justice. It was, a, we literally had a social justice textbook instead of anything about speech giving. And we gave speeches, just they were all about social justice. And he, I had, a lot of my best friends have like worked in activism and like ACORN and all these things. And I was always the friend that like really didn't get it, if I'm honest, like I wasn't, I'll say like that good of a person yet. Like I just didn't understand, like I, like I had never learned about systemic racism or any of these issues and really like floated above them in like a way that I'm now a bit embarrassed by, but it just wasn't something that mattered to me. And then we took this class and it was painful. It was like all of a sudden, and I was taking it at the same time, I was taking like world history and we were reading a world history book that um, similarly, like looked at American history, not world, American history through this lens of like social justice and all of a sudden it just became so important. And so Sam and I were both studying at the same time. And so he would have his flashcards about wine facts and I would have my flashcards about like, you know, injustice and all these things. And I remember we would do his wine tastings and I'd get really frustrated. I mean, as we said, we had a lot of conversations about why wine and I, would just get really angry and just be like, I just, there's so many important things right now. And also like it was the year, not to get into politics at all, but it was the year Donald Trump was elected and just like these issues all of a sudden, and we just had a daughter. And so it was like all these issues, we need a charger. Okay. Um, felt so important all of a sudden, like it just felt like, how can you live a life right now and not try to like, at least in some way, make the world a better place. And I, it wasn't like I'd come from a history of that. It was like me more than anything. It was like, how can I have lived this long and not felt any responsibility to leave a better world for my kids? Like, what is wrong with me? And, you know, when we were talking about what to do with the rest of our lives, I couldn't remove that from the equation. Like it just felt so important to like, not go back to sleep and start ignoring all these things again. And so we were talking about how to do the wine thing. Um, we went, it wasn't, Sam very awesomely started to like show me how that was a part of the wine world. Like how those two things didn't have to be 
separate that like wine wasn't because like wine has like not the greatest history of like I mean you read about like the history of wine and how it was marketed in the U.S. and like they only advertised in publications for like older white men and they really purposely branded it as a luxury good and made it so that like studying wine it was it became like a distinction of class and it reinforced these like inequitable like class distinctions and that's not that cool in my opinion and so we just started talking about like how to like that that wasn't an inevitable part of it and so we went to Italy and Sam really showed me how like wine was more like for everybody and it wasn't considered this like you know I don't know regal thing that was like for a specific type of people and that was really nice to learn and so we sorry we're having to plug in the computer but we um we as we like began mapping out wine and peace and like the original version, that was like kind of like the essence of those lesson boxes was like, if for most of your life, you've chosen wine based on region and based on like grape varietal, we're gonna propose that there's a better way to buy wine. And that better way is looking at it through the lens of values. So finding wine that aligns with your values. So if you're like an, you know, a new age feminist, like I had just learned to like self-identify as a proud feminist, like how about supporting awesome women in the wine industry? Um, if you are like really care about like fair labor practices and believe like people should be treated well, like supporting wineries that share those values and are like actively doing something about it. And so when we transformed to the platform that just kind of came with it, it was like, we really wanna reimagine the criteria by which people buy wine and and have it like, I mean, cause I worked in food right when this was happening in food. It was like, I was a chef and I watched as like Anthony Bourdain sort of dragged America kicking and screaming into an idea where we really cared about more than just like what was on the plate, but like how people were being treated in the kitchen and like, you know, where your food came from. Like Alice Waters, like, like, hey, it can be like local and organic and all these ideas. And then our restaurant, like Atria went when Christian like, embrace that immediately and suddenly like our guests were talking about food miles and like you know when you ran out of something on the menu previous to this it was like how could you run out of that like this is a fine restaurant if I want my swordfish I want my swordfish and it would be like all you had to do is be like well we're trying to reduce waste and that means not overstocking out of everything so we run out of things sometimes it's crazy and people got it and people accepted it and they would pay more for local greens because they cost more. So, but what was odd was that that didn't touch the wine world. It was like people were still flying in wine from France and like no one saw like for some reason like eating local didn't go out, go with like drinking local. Like it was perfectly normal to like pair your like local grass fed beef with your, you know, French Bordeaux that like you know, like the wine miles on the, I mean, sorry, there's not a term yet, but you know, the, the carbon footprint of like flying wine across the ocean, I can't imagine it's awesome. So I don't know, it's, we really wanna like, that's why our platform, it's only American. And we're right now, we're only working with people on the West Coast just cause we had to start somewhere, but we're really excited to help people. Like if you live in Oregon, drink wines from Oregon. Like they're amazing. You know, there's no reason to be trucking wine everywhere. So getting people like Sam's really, really, really excited about making regional wine maps for the US to like, and like educating people about, you know, what's 
what's in their area and getting that same sort of excitement about the idea of terroir to like local communities. And, yeah. and kind of even like rethinking ter this idea of terroir a little bit. Like when we got into, when I got into wine, it was like New California was, was the, was like the, the what, what really was exciting that I, this idea of like reimagining American wine on like the, like the European paradigm, like the sense of place um, and, and cre creating wines that were like more, like lower alcohol, higher acid, more, more sensitivity to sight. Um, and, you know, but I, I think that now we're in a new era that's almost like a new, new America, new California, new, new Oregon. <laughs> we're like, it's, it's like terroir. We don't have to adhere to the same definition of terroir as Europe because it really doesn't apply to us. It's, we don't have, we're not inheriting land from our forefathers and, and sort of like the story that, that wine, the, what makes wine exciting isn't this, like the, this, uh, the reverence for a site. It's, it's much bigger than that. It's much more about the human component and like being yeah. a pioneer and doing something new and, and expressing, you, you know, expressing the, yourself as opposed to expressing the, 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 the plot of land. I mean, they're, they're, they, there's a conversation there and they're both important, but like, whereas like the human is a small part of like the story in Europe at times, in America, it, it's a much bigger part. And so that's why we're so interested in expressing in like in making the each wine winery synonymous with a person yeah and this was something we argued about a lot in the early days it's like are we going to present the winery or are we going to present the winemaker yeah and often they're the same but not always so like Adelshan is, is are we going to be talking about Adelshan or are we going to be talking about Gina you know and, mm -hmm. and and we made the hard decision and Katie really pushed for this whereas I'm always like stuck in the something the more the conventions of the industry but Katie was like no like when you tell me about a wine that you're excited about it's never it's, it's, she's like, you know, she, and it was like such a cool epiphany because it was like, what are the wines you've been really excited about in the last, like, whatever? Like, what are those early wines you told me about? And just like, you couldn't stop talking about. It. And there were always like a person, Ariana Oki Pinti, or like somebody like that. It was like, it was never, Thyssen, a, it was yeah. never, it was never Stephen Thyssen or like, it was never like the brand. It was like the person. And, yeah. and what, that's what made the wine so exciting. And so, and I think that's really the, the story that we want to tell is we want to tell the story of American wine. And, and tell it through like the story of the individual and not the story of like this, this, this plot of land um, yeah, per se, you know? the person. Yeah. And, and I think that's something I talk a lot about with winemakers. Um, uh, Steve Mathiasen has some really interesting insights and thought he's thought about it a lot. And uh, yeah, so it's just, that to us is really exciting. And that ties into, I think, yeah. the, the value idea too, is like really a focus on, on the human. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love that. Um, you mentioned starting on the West Coast with with places to go, hopefully beyond that. Uh, I'm curious, uh, for since we're the Oregon Wine History Archive, I want to talk about Oregon a little bit and kind of your perceptions yeah. of it from outside. You mentioned Andrew Dodam and, and Tom and Kate and Renee and Grant at 100 Sons I know yeah. you have, and, and some others, Adelsheim, obviously. But tell me about your sort of perspectives on Oregon wine since you started getting into wine, what you what attracts you to it and what you've noticed about the industry. Yeah. Um, great question. Yeah, so we visited the my first time physically visiting was when we started this project. When we visited that first time, and so you know I read about it a ton, and like visiting a wine region is like I try to explain to people like what makes it so exciting, because it's like it's like it's like visiting a place after you've like been reading like 
like the tour book for like 10 years <laughs> just like reading it and rereading it and rereading it and then you finally get to go like that's like the excitement that's built up when you get to visit a wine region for the first time and and so like I had some I certainly had perceptions about it and you think Pinot Noir Pinot Noir Pinot Noir and and you know the history and and you know of of just like like kind of these like UC you know, UC Davis graduates coming kind of in the 70s and planning and finding sites that kind of had aspects similar to Burgundy and and so like you kind of understand the mythology of it but it doesn't have a new California book to tell you about like the, like that's like one thing I've noticed again and again and again and correct me if I'm wrong and I just don't haven't found it like it needs like the industry really like like Oregon could really use that book and I I, I hope someone writes it um, maybe you because I think um, it just ha has been so, it's like, I can't overemphasize like the, how good that book was that John Bonet wrote for the California industry and really like setting in stone this new era. And I don't think, I think Oregon could really use that because it's harder to really understand where things are at because when you want to read about Oregon, you go back to Jancis Robinson or like, you know, you go back to these, or like the, the wine Bible, you know, you have to, you have to go to these, resources that kind of cover everything or you find really regional kind of like small press books that like are so insider baseball kind of that you're just like it's like you're reading like it's, it's like reading like the Mar like the West Tisbury like town hall like kind of thing so it's like there's not there's not like anything that's really in between that really like sets sets the stage for where things are at and so you kind of it's 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 much harder to get a sense of 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 the region because of that, and also because it's a complex place with the subappellations and 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 you know and so I just kind of going in, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and what I think is so interesting about it is it's like all the things that are happening. Like we work with a, a, a couple a couple producers who are really focused on Pinot Noir, and I think that there's there's a huge world of diversity within that one grape. But I'm I'm really excited by like like you know Kate and Tom at Division is it a great example of like people who are like being brave to like just like think outside the box and, and work with grapes um, or work from sites that don't necessarily fit within the like the really um, sort of like storied Appalachians or storied vineyard sites. Um, I think I think they're they're both really interesting paths. Whether you want to go in like the the sort of path of like working with these you know, in, within the Dundee Hills and working biodynamically farming a, a historic site and just telling the story of that site year after year after year, um, I think is a, a very valued life's work. And I love exploring those producers. Um, but I also think it's, it's really cool to kind of be being willing to kind of like source grapes from, from like the Applegate Valley or source grapes from other places and like stick your label on it and stand and, and describe where you're sourcing it from and what's happening on that vineyard site and why you're, why you wanted to make it like a Melon de Bourgogne or, or, and, or blending these red grapes together, some from Washington and, 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 and being willing to kind of create, I don't know, like build, like if you, if you're able to really tell a compelling story and build a strong brand, like, like I'd say division has, you can, you can, you can pull people on that journey. You don't have to really hang your hat on a vineyard so much as, as like an idea and like a philosophy. And I think I that's what I've been finding and like the people experimenting with Gamay, the people experimenting with Chardonnay and and and, and then weirder grapes off, up from there. I'm really excited to see that kind of like broader exploration happening um, is something that has been really fun to explore. Um, but yeah, Willamette Valley is just, is so, so cool. I, 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 
I need, like, it's like, I just want to keep getting, going back and like understanding. It's like one of those places where like I go, I can't get anywhere without stopping like eight times to take pictures from like the side of the road of just like, yeah. cause it's like all of a sudden you feel like, so you, you feel like you get it suddenly for a moment. You're like, wait, okay. So like, I understand like Minville is here. Okay. The Chehalem mountains are there. Okay. Ribbon Ridge is up there. It's like, you're, you're sort of like, you've read about it a million times but it's not like an easy place to kind of put, it's not like you're in Napa and you're just like driving along the road and it's like, okay, there's Calistoga, there's, you know, it's much, it's much more kind of like, they're pockets and they're like just, and so you, you, there are moments of, of, of like understanding that you kind of try to grasp and you kind of get the lay of the land and as someone with not a very good sense of direction, it's, there's, it's challenging, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like, I just, from, from like the explorations of the Willamette Valley and just like, the scale of the Willamette Valley is so different from the California scale. And that's something you don't realize yeah. until you're there. And like, you know, for example, Renee and Grant, like he, his day job, quote unquote, is working, uh, you know, at a winery that's like, you know, making an amount of wine, which would not constitute like a, a day job in California, you know? So like, I think, I think it's like the, the production of, the, of his of the winery he's a winemaker at is like 1200 cases or something which is like it, for california like mind-bogglingly small yeah even for tiny producers who, who might a thousand cases is sort of like the at the moment at which you can be like maybe i can do this for a living maybe 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 but you're still like really like cobbling it together um and it's really like three thousand to six thousand where you're like okay this is like i can hire somebody i can like it's not just me. I, you know, I start to have like a real business that I can kind of formulate. Whereas what I found in Oregon is the scale is even, is much smaller even than that. And you have people at a thousand cases who are like, like almost like, all right, this is good. I'm, I like hit, hit my, hit my spot. And so it's just like the scale is very different. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's, it doesn't have the same, um, I don't know, California has this, this history of winemaking that goes back so far that in Oregon, it just seems to be, there seems to be, a, there's just a different relationship to wine because it is, it is newer that I find really exciting. It kind of goes back to like, I, I love being on the edge of discovery. And I feel like that is what like is happening in Willamette Valley right at this moment. Yeah. Um, like one of the, one of the cooler visits we did was like Antiqua Terra. Um, and just like, like I've, I've listened to like a bunch of interviews with like Maggie Harrison and like the way she thinks about Oregon and, and, kind of like experimentation and charting a new path so that like the next generation can kind of like have a lay of the land um and that the, the to me that that the fact that we're at that point in the history of that region is such an exciting point to be in and, and to embrace that um and, yeah so and, and we're just excited to be a part of that and try to try to help tell those stories and for me like what makes our project so exciting one of the things that makes it exciting to me is that like the wine industry is so big and there's so many regions that are can just like you can get lost in whether it's like um you know the canary islands or like mount etna or like you know and or some of the things that are happening in spain and and you just like you hear about it you read about it, you want to go there you want to like you want to meet those bruises you want to taste those wines and there's like this almost like a, a migration of like the sommeliers to those places to like really like sink their teeth in um whereas we've built this kind of like these like blinders for us and said no like American wine is our thing like yeah even though American wine wasn't like my first like I mean I guess I started in Mexico but 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 yeah, yeah it just we by creating these blinders we've like get to zero in on these places and say we're going to tell the story of some of these regions whether it's like 
Sienega Valley in California or like, you know, places that like you don't, the world's too big to spend too much time looking at um, that we can just be like, no, we're gonna like tell, tell that story, create, and, and that's part of the, as we, the website grows, building out like the, the stories of each region and the cruisers within it um, is some is work I'm really, really excited about. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So you you mentioned kind of rushing your your soft launch this this spring and and now you've had kind of your hard launch more recently than that. Um, how how did it go? How's it gone this year? Obviously, COVID changes everything for everybody. So you've already kind of touched on that. But tell me about how the spring and summer went, and now that you're you're kind of officially official, how it's going so far. Um, so it's like knock on wood, but just really well it's been um so we did a yeah we did a soft launch just with um kind of friends and family sent out like a few initial emails um and when we launched just to like see what happened and found as like you know inevitably like bugs and all those kind of things and then one of the it was like a there was a lot of like aha moments like one thing we realized is that um so for like one shipping wine we really want to make it not like not a barrier for buying things online like we definitely have all gotten spoiled with um expecting free shipping on things and you know nothing's ever free but like, somehow like free shipping so when we were trying to like figure out if we could make this work we wanted to make sure that we could um offer like subsidized or free shipping on any like significant order and to do that, like the smallest amount we ship is three bottles. And like that is also for, like the carbon footprint. It's like the smaller the box, you know, the worse it is for the planet. So we really like, it's been really hard because people want to buy one bottle, but we've just like put our stake in the sand or line in the sand, whatever you put in the sand, we put it there and we're like sticking with it. So it's, um, it's, one thing we realized though is asking people to buy three bottles of a single wine was a bit that was a bit too much so we had to like and, and adjust that, that. And, and, and to explain like that was like the intrinsic result of the way we launched where the wine was coming directly from the winery yeah you know you could you had to shop within a producer you couldn't like if you ordered one bottle from three different producers you would get three separate cases or if you were, you were like oh i'm gonna order a case of all these different producers you would get like 12 separate orders and so we to avoid that <laughs> to avoid that we basically made it so you had to order a minimum of three bottles yeah um, and so we, we we built the site to encourage you to buy from a single winery and we immediately realized that that was like a, a kind of like a, ask, uh, it, was yeah. a, it was a hurdle for for people who just wanted who hadn't heard of us and or hadn't heard, heard of these producers the to, to try to give it us a try to order three like Odeon Pinot Noirs it's like 150 dollars on a wine you've, you've never, never had, had. yeah um, and so we, we knew immediately like, okay, we got to figure out, you know, we got to build out the rest of the infrastructure so we can be sending these wines out from a single location and, and, and create, and create mixed cases and really make like the active discovery something that people can do. And, and then, so that presented the problem of like how to do that. And one thing, um, I realized was, so that really became like my job was like solving that problem. And so I started speaking to fulfillment centers, not distribution centers, got it. Um, I started seeing the fulfillment centers and realized that like mixing boxes of wine is actually a lot more complicated than I initially thought. It was um, a challenge. We needed um, a fulfillment center that was willing to like 
work with a new startup that didn't have like a history of like thousands of sales a day. And we needed um, a fulfillment center with like the advanced technology to like mix bottles of wine. And uh, that was like, you know, a Goldilocks problem that was really hard to solve. And so I, you know, I spoke to, I mean, dozens of fulfillment centers and it was, you know, like the ones that were willing to work with us, it was like, yeah, like we can like run really quickly and grab, it was like, oh God, no, 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 no. And, and to, to add a complexity on top of all of this is that we're not buying the wine. Yeah, you we know? don't own the it's wine. Not like, it's not like we can just have a warehouse and buy the wine and resell it. Cause that would be defeat like, the that would defeat the purpose and that would, we'd be participating in the three tier in a way that we kind of were, everything has been about not. working outside that. Yeah. So that's like, everything has been, we don't want to buy the wine and resell it. We want to like empower these wineries to sell directly. And yep. so that's what makes mixing cases so complicated. It's, it's like, we don't own the wine and we don't own the warehouse. How do we like make it, how do we fit all these pieces together that really, yeah. that we couldn't find any template for? And so we were, I was really lucky and I ended up speaking uh, to this guy, Ed Delaney, who um, is part of, I mean, there, it's like a whole, like the companies are all coming together, but it ends up being under the umbrella of wine shipping. And he, and he, I guess he seems to like come from the startup world, like just like the way he like spoke our language and had this enthusiasm, this like bright eyed, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's like figure this out that I hadn't gotten from anybody else. Like it just, either it was like this begrudgingly, like, you know, like, yeah, we'll maybe consider working with you, but like, you know, just not like an attitude you wanted, or it was um, like a huge guy saying like, come back another day when you have more. And then we had a few people who like seemed like they were willing to tackle it. We like ended up in kind of talks with like three different fulfillment centers, but just talking to him and then his, um, like a person who works with him, this guy, Alex, like they just, I don't know, they matched our tone, they matched our enthusiasm, like our belief in where the industry was going, all of it. And they just fit us perfectly. And they worked really hard to find a place for us in there. Um, in their company and they ended up finding a warehouse in Paso Robles that was willing to take us on um, and like the people who started that warehouse or a husband and wife team who got into wine because they like love small wineries and like you know getting on the phone with them it's just the, like the husband is just like they've been part of the wine industry forever and they love it and they're in it for like completely the right reasons and so you know we this a few days ago like last week we finally you know getting all the wine there and it like it was a logistical you know setting up like the back end of the software and everything it was um it was a thing it was it was a thing yeah because we, we, we had wine coming i mean like the few weeks our wine was shipping it, it's coming from everywhere and just like watching those shipments and like things weren't always shipped perfectly and but now like our wine all arrived safely we like, got to watch our inventory build up and then our first few orders started going out and it just like, it's been perfect. I mean, they're like a very professional um, company. And so yeah. it's like, it's like magic. It's like an order comes in and then an order goes out and it's like magic, it's fucking yeah. awesome. So that just started and um, we immediately, we sent out just like an email to like a few, you know, dozen people on our mailing list and told them and orders started coming in. And then um, Alex Delaney, from Bon Appetit, um, no, am I getting? Yeah. Yeah, but sorry, it's now I'm worried I got Edmund's name wrong. I'm terrible with names, terrible with faces, terrible with numbers, a lot of things. But anyway, he wrote about us um, on his Instagram the other day and it's just been, maybe that was yesterday. 
time is a mess but it's just been I mean just like the kindest I don't know it's just like we really have put all our eggs in this basket in terms of like our life and our kids financial stability like everything and so it's terrifying and um it's just it's been going again knock on wood but better than we ever could have imagined just like it's and we have so many things we want to do like Sam says like really using these storytelling tools to dive into the regions and having this educational component to the website and doing live events I mean there's like a million things that we want to do but right now we're just a little bit basking in like the the joy that like the foundational thing which is like selling some freaking wine and having orders delivered is working like yes it seems yeah. like such an easy thing but my god it took us like two years and it was really and, hard and, and to be honest and the summer was just like oh, like, like, like the the, comp, the the process of like having done the beta launch it was successful and then when COVID hit we had to go back to the u.s so coco could be born yeah I got we it. were living with my parents I, I walked yes. like 50 miles like in my parents' like yard, just on the phone with winemakers, on the phone with the fulfillment houses, with with just just trying to fit all the pieces together, and just like this this it's as hard as it was, you know. Like I feel like we both, Katie and I both, true to both of us, is this desire. It's like I don't know, like devote our lives to something that is kind of like insurmountable, and, yeah. and that feels feels good. Yeah. Um. And we've and we found it. So like despite the the challenges and there have been many like i'm i'm someone who's who struggles more with like uncertainty than certainly than katie who who seems to thrive with uncertainty um it was just magical but uh yeah so like there's just been really really hard it's 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 challenged me in ways that like i didn't know i could be challenged for sure yeah. um but like and then and then we had wildfires and you know and then first in california yeah, and then oregon I mean, and then california it's and, for us like the winemakers yeah. and, the and so, things they've faced this year have been and so like just insane. like so like the the logistics of moving a bunch of wine from from all these different wineries to a single fulfillment center during harvest um where we had like winemakers like harvesting in gas masks almost because of smoke so in some instances like um and just winemakers not making wine or winemakers not making pinot noir yeah, um, and then for, we're like, in the Willamette Valley, why make it so we aren't making Pinot Noir in 2020? You know, it's just like dealing with like getting on the phone and 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 having conversations with people when they were dealing with those things. Yeah, hearing kids in the background and like like just and knowing any, how like yeah. you know knowing that feeling because like it's this business but also like our restaurant like knowing that feeling of like okay I know I have to do this like monotonous task of like giving you this information you need but like you know I'm they're literally like dealing with these things that threaten the existence of their business it's it's intense it's, and, yeah and so there's a, yeah, a mutual pre appreciation for it's like just like impossible you know yeah uncertain futures and so they yeah and we so we finally have gotten back to, to Montreal um where where the company is still based in terms of just like where like the where our team is and but you know we're an American company but we've been able to kind of build out some some like tech talent and you know uh, programmers here um so yeah it's just um it's been a whirlwind it's been a yeah. whirlwind but yeah, it's we're, going we're, really, now, we're now up and running it's going incredibly yeah and it's you know it's like now it's just getting spreading the word and like i don't know just that like those first two years of being an entrepreneur it's like every day it's like what do i do today like could someone tell me what I'm supposed to concentrate on today? Because it's, you never know. Like, it's like, there's no clear path. It's like, you know, this is what you need to do to open a business. It's like, you know, so often it's like you do this one thing and then you're like, 
is that a complete waste of time? Like is that, you know, like making pitch decks for different oh. investors. Oh, we've wasted so many hours. So many, so many hours. hours. Telling the story to investors, you 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 just you can lose yourself in that, and then like, yeah, they don't even care or, or don't have the time to look at any yeah. materials. But or... then like the investors that like approach, like we've had such luck, and like some of the people that have been attracted to this project, like, are like they they're not investors; they're just friends, they're, like good, great people who like love wine or love supporting entrepreneurs and like they almost require the least it's like they don't ask you to like make eight million revisions to something and like pawn you off on someone else it's like they they just like throw their support behind you and like it's just I don't know it's been the craziest two years I mean honestly it's like I had no if we'd known how hard it was like who knows like who knows there were some really really hard times so it was like you know but what we try to say is like any time where it's so bad you really want to give up and you're like this is the worst thing I've ever done with my life and what am I doing like that's the thing that like if you get over that that's the thing like will determine that you're like successful it's like if that knocks like the 5,000 like startups off the rungs of the ladder and like you cling on the little like rodent on the side of the ship like that's what allows you to like make it all the way so it's just I mean, literally we launched a few days ago to the world and it feels so good. I'm really glad you're doing this interview today. A few days ago, it's like still terrifying, but today it just feels, I don't know, just watching the orders come in yesterday and go out, it just felt so good. Like it was all worth it suddenly. So yeah, going well. And I the really appreciate that. <laughs> you know, like life is just, cause yeah, having an infant, Coco was a, can I put on the record she was a surprise? Is that like mean? But um, <laughs> I don't think many people would like choose to have like a new baby the same year they launch their startup. I don't, yeah. I mean, maybe they would, but I would not. And it's only like heightened like the joy because it's like, I don't know. She's like true to form. She's like in the interviews and like at the office with us every day. And it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's been, we did, we literally were living with Sam's parents, like working out of, it was five of us in like his, the house he grew up in, like trying to run an adult company. Like it was pretty silly. My parents were like, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what, like it seems intense because you're constantly working and like- You guys I, cry yeah, a lot. I would, like... I, would, I, would, I would put Lily to bed at 10, like, at, like put her to bed. I'd, I'd emerge from the room having fallen asleep for like an hour, wake up at, at like 10.30 at night. And then just be like, I guess I could just start working. And just like my, my morning would begin. It was yeah. like- Crazy, crazy hours um, to get through some of the stuff. But yeah, and I just worked all night. Like my emails were always like, people would be like, "What the hell is going on?" Because the only way we could make it work with our kids was like, I would literally start work at like ten o'clock at night and work till like seven, eight in the morning. And then when the kids got up, like hang out with them and sleepily like do you know? It was just without Sam's parents, it wouldn't have been possible. Like they watched, or they were full time. His mom especially was like full time daycare the summer. It was pretty insane mm -hmm, yeah. it was unbelievable so every step of the way just the people the support has been it's like just magical it's pretty cool it's truly truly amazing uh and uh <laughs> i just have one more question for you we've obviously talked quite a bit i think we've covered things pretty well here but i want to circle back to something we talked about earlier we, we i asked i asked why wine and you had a good answer for it and at some point Katie, especially you talked about kind of your kind of slow entree into wine and kind of slowly coming around to it. So 
I want to ask after all this, why is wine important? Why does it deserve the time and energy that you put into it and that winemakers put into it? What is its role in, in the world? God, I think it's just uh, bringing us back together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like after, I think it's everything has changed so much in the last, you know, year with COVID and everything. And it's like only affirmed this beginning, this core idea we had is just like wine's role is not to like in intimidate. It's like jo join us together. And um, I think that every, all through all these twists and turns with, with COVID, um, like having something, and, and it's, this relates back to like why wine seems so important to me coming from like this writing and it's just like it's it's immediate and it's visceral and it it it, join, it joins us together in yeah. a way that is like so important now more than ever it's like like it gives us something to celebrate together it's like i don't know it's i think sam and i are both people people and covid the hardest part about covid is being lonely just missing those physical interactions and like getting everybody together for dance parties and dinners and drinking and like wine is a celebration of that it's a celebration of like i mean it's the only beverage where it, it comes in a size specifically to share that's pretty freaking cool it's like you know it's like i wine in a can like i i like the idea of like experimentation but i more than anything i love that it it literally is like it just it invites i don't know coming together around like you know for one moment asking us to pause and like all join together and appreciating like one thing together it's just i don't know man yeah that it, feels more important than ever it really does yeah i would say that like this one of the hardest things about this whole experience is just like appreciating the moment because i think like we get so caught up in, in being terrified about the future <laughs> whether it's like we were kind of like early adapters to covid because we were already like living like <laughs> covid like kind of style of life like we were like in a, in montreal kind of isolated in a sense because we're working so hard on this project yeah i was already quite terrified about the future <laughs> prior to covid um so like it's like anything that that gets me to kind of meditate on the moment and like appreciate the present moment um yeah. is something i need a lot more of and and it's something i like work so hard to try to do and for me wine has always been like such a, a, a great just like tool for that you know yeah. like, like like window into that and you wrote like back before this idea when Sam was just, I, I think you were working at the restaurant, but Sam wrote an article about like approaching wine for holidays, like how to pick wines for holidays. And you wrote like, if you're bringing like a wine you're excited about, like rather than buying like the most expensive bottle and then like nervously, like not wanting like the people who don't appreciate it to like drink it. You, you were like, bring something you could afford to bring like two or three of and like have literally everyone try it. Like even if like your uncle drinks it out of like, you know, a hopefully not styrofoam anymore, but like a, a mug, you know, it's like, it's not about like bringing something that is beyond some people, but it's about like, I don't know, just like everyone can approach it at their own level. Like there's no, there's no knowledge that you need to have. And if you don't have it, you're like not worthy of this wine. It's like the exact opposite. It's like, just everyone can appreciate it at their own place. And like, that's inherently beautiful. It's pretty cool. And I would say right now we're at a really cool time in 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 like the history, like the journey of like American wine, where like or wine in general, where I feel like when I was when I was getting into it, like you almost like, and that's part of what makes wine so intimidating is like 
you're afraid if you're trying wine for the first time, you're a new, you're a newcomer to wine. Like you're afraid to like say what you smell or to yeah. ask stupid questions. And I think because there's a set body of knowledge that you, you should learn and adhere to and like repeat back and teach others. Um, but more and more now because of like everything that's happened with the social unrest in our, in our country and with the, the crazy just whiplash of COVID, people are asking, are, are realize that wine can, it can be for them without them having to adhere to like a, a like a template for what a, a wine aficionado should be. Yeah. And it can be, and so like this idea of wine's beauty being, um, um, wine's diversity and that you don't know what you're going to get when you open the bottle and you could get, and wine comes from all over the world and expresses all these different places and all these different people. And that wine, you don't have to like adhere to a certain template for being a wine aficionado to appreciate it. You can be you and ask hard questions and, and explore wine on your own terms and ask whether wine, you know, if you're someone who, who cares about social justice, you can say, does wine live up to my ideals or does it not? Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas before you would have to say, you would have, you couldn't, you almost, you couldn't ask that. It would, wine had to be separate from, and from politics, from, from social questions about social equity. It's almost like wine was this, this escape from that. And to, to appreciate wine was to kind of like just buy into what, wine, what, yeah. what wine had been in the decades past, which right now when I'm Talk, we're, we're, we're launching a, a magazine to kind of go be part of our platform and I'm talking to writers who have been who have been reading in, in places like Punch and and the wine um, uh, uh, wine and spirits and people who I've like look up to and I've been reading their work over the years who I think of as like industry insiders who are like all in on wine and and they're like man I don't know if 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 like after everything that's happened in recent months like I don't know if like wine is is like whole does does like fit yeah I don't I mean, know. It, it deserves to exist yeah and, and i think that like I, and i think while i'm certainly someone who's like head over heels like wine is my is like i'm in it i i i'm i'm so excited to live in a time when like those questions can be open openly asked and people can come to their own conclusions um and we want to be a part of that yeah we want to like we want to support winemakers that like we can ardently say like yes wine deserves to exist because like look at these guys like yeah. how can you not want yeah, these people exactly. like how do you not want like 100 sons like i remember renee telling us about how like they were they they like downsized their family home to like move into a small place so they could afford to buy their wine equipment and they would like buy one thing at a time she was such a badass she was like riding the like a tractor in this tiny little space like moving shit around like right before our interview and i was like i love you but you know, she was like, and it was the same. I remember when we bought our, it's so embarrassing, but our fry later for our restaurant. And it was like, we were so excited. And it was like, we the first one we bought at Walmart for like $99. And then this was like a real one from like a grown up restaurant. And it was like, they were on that same journey. It was yeah. like, you know, this is our passion and it's not made, you know, like the industrial wine thing about like just making every decision based on like finances and like how to make the biggest markup in the like margins. It's like, this is all about, I don't know, just a person who, for whatever reason, this is their passion and they're like going all in on it and they want to share it with you. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's, it seems like a more important thing to support than, I don't know. Just about anything. Just about anything. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Good, good. That was a fantastic answer and a great way to end this. So 
I want to thank you both so much for your time today, for your answers, for your stories, for your honesty and, and, and your candor. Uh, we'll go ahead and stop recording here in a second. And then uh, yeah, if you want to hang out, we'll chat for a little bit. Cheers. Thank, well, thank you so thank much. Thank you guys so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. This has been such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.